of all the sounds you'll hear this summer. This might be your new favorite. They're blending up the new chocolate chip iced cap at Tim Hortons. Real chocolate chips blended into an iced cap for a sweet summer treat. It's Tim Hortons' frozen take on a cappuccino. And it just might be the best sound of summer. Hurry into Tim Hortons for the new chocolate chip iced cap. Limited time at participating restaurants. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. You are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts... Joe Lanza. Exile, go listen to some boring podcast where they're, where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza. Because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Cranch. <laughs> Give me a name. I want to. Who delivers <laughs> this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. I want in, in the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? <laughs> Stop yelling at me. I agree. Welcome once again to the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast. I'm Rich Cranch alongside, as always, good family man, Mr. Joe Lanza. Joe, what's going on? How are you, good friend? I'm doing well, pal. <laughs> I heard uh, I, I I said I was gonna maybe put it in the in the back half of the show, but but I won't, or at the end of the show I won't. But uh, yeah, I heard in a, an incredible exchange between you, your dogs, your children, and your wife uh, before we recorded today. So at some point, uh, uh, according to you, everybody was in the room. Everybody was in the room where you want to record. Dogs, boy, every every single thing, every living thing in your house was in one place at the same time. Yeah, they it sounded all came like chaos. It sounded like absolute chaos. <laughs> utter chaos. I was There's stressed no- just listening to it. So. Dogs running around all over the place. Kids hanging on my legs. Uh, you know, the wife's in here, and I'm like, "Get out of here!" You know, I'm 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 coming in here to do my job. You got to get lost, you know. So I'm trying to shoo everybody out of here, but there's just bodies God, everywhere. What, what are you making on this? <laughs> we got to talk. I think maybe I, maybe I'm not I'm not cooking the books properly because a job. Jeez. Well, well, Whatever. you know, I, I no, we're, listen. Now we're the most, I, if nothing, if not the biggest professionals that you'll ever. I treat this like a job, damn it. Okay. That's why we put in an A plus performance every week for the listener. Let me tell you something. With the amount of content we've been putting behind the paywall, it is this, this basically constitutes a job at this point. I mean, we don't ever stop. One of us is recording some kind of podcast content pretty much every hour of every day. It's pretty insane. Um, I, how many hours of content do we have behind the paywall this week? This and I is, yeah, swear this, this wasn't. Week. And I swear this wasn't a planned sneaky plug either. It just is a natural part of the conversation. But how many fucking hours of content are behind that paywall this week, which you can find and subscribe to by going to? Uh, well, Rich will tell you the URL because I'm going to screw it up. <laughs> Jesus, it's the easiest thing in the world. Two ways, patreon.com slash voices of wrestling or voice wrestling.com slash Patreon. Very, very simple there. So, uh, yeah, no, there's a lot. I mean, I mean, three different pricing tiers to fit your budget. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got what, three hours with Zellner alone, <laughs> you know, that have, or two and a half hours with uh, us and Chris Zellner. Uh, we got uh, ones coming up there with Matt Farmer and Allen. Alan These are the uh, one Hall soon. of Fame breakdowns. Mm-hmm. One Hall of Fame breakdowns. We got those. We got the brand new pilot of the Michelle Calls wrestling matches about the kennel from hell. 
your TV reviews. I have my season preview. I forgot about that fucking thing. Jesus, I forgot I did the NBA season preview. You got an NFL intelligentsia coming up. Like, I don't know what happened. We, we, you know, and, and that's the thing. I think we just kind of found our groove in some ways. It's been busy. It's been, but it's been, you know, we, we're, we're, we're there. You know, it takes a little while to kind of find your footing, figure out what you're doing and whatnot. And I think we, we kind of, we got something good going on here right now. So yeah. Super Definitely junior tag. Super junior oh, tag. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, that you're the dumbest city. You're the biggest city in the world. You're giving, people are stealing $5. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, for the week that we've been on, I forgot about the super junior. Yeah, it's another great asset there for you too. So there's like we're averaging like two shows per day behind the paywall, uh, plus the flagship. But um, but yeah, I mean, people definitely this this is this is a month where you're getting you know you know you're ripping us off if you subscribe this month. <laughs> there's no question about. It. We're not charging enough. Hey, there's one guy. I don't know if you saw it, Rich. Uh, our highest pricing tier, of course, is five dollars. Okay. Uh, biggest value in wrestling, by the way. Um, there's one guy who is actually he upped his uh, subscription rate. I don't even know how he did this. He's now paying us eight dollars. I think he I feels saw that. Guilty. You know, I I I was I was gonna get mad at you because I saw it. Like I woke up in the middle. Of, I woke up in the middle of the night, maybe like five or six a.m. or whatever. I checked my email and it says your new eight dollar Patreon. Like whatever. And I'm like, did Joe? What did Joe do? <laughs> I thought you just created like another Patreon. Like ah, I'm gonna pick this tier. Like the Joe. Yeah. I was like, what? Why eight dollars? Like it didn't make any sense to me. And I was like, why would you choose eight dollars? Like what a weird denomination. And I could not for the life of me figure out how the hell this guy ended up paying us eight dollars. But I mean, I'll take it. That's you can all pay us eight dollars if you'd like, but. Yeah, so to the guy who felt like you know he was ripping us off and he's paying us eight bucks instead of five, thank you. Well, Rich, I think there's an option on there where you can choose your own uh, denomination. Okay, so everyone else is just cheap asses, and he's the only one that's got any sort of class. So that's good. That's good to know. For the record, Rich is the one slandering the other, <laughs> say, the yeah, other no. four hundred of you, or whatever it is. Yeah, right. um, I thank each and every one of you yes. for your uh, for your patronage. Uh, not the best business models to. Uh... <laughs> credit one and badmouth the other but you know hey we've been shitting on the listeners from day one though i mean i, I think sure, it's kind of i know they like it i think they like it it's like uh they're all they're all a bunch of uh, uh masochists chuck berry, yeah or chuck berry oh i thought oh i thought you were literally talking about never mind okay <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was good that was that was sly i i like that um yeah. Not our first Chuck Berry uh, feces conversation on this podcast either. So. I think, yeah, didn't I think we talked about Chuck Berry getting shit on many times on <laughs> usually the show. a third hour. <laughs> I can't believe yeah. we, have to, we have to do an ad read. Like we got okay, we need like ten minutes of 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 not talk about this just in case our our, our fine friends at uh, I'll mention them in a little bit because I don't want them to be uh, Dick Slater. Uh- Joe. You don't want the sponsor to be tied in with Chuck Berry. <laughs> Chuck Berry's, yes. Shit on in hotel bathtubs. You don't want that to be a thing. <laughs> no, I don't. Maybe they All do. Right. I don't know. They could let us know if they do. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing no. Dick Slater, Joe. Dick Slater passed away. What can Dick, you tell Slater Dick Slater did pass Well, I mean, Dick Slater, I think he was 67 years old, correct? I think one of the awesome thing about him too, that's not a fake name either. Richard Van Slater is his name, which is an incredible name in and of itself. And Dick Slater is just an awesome name. You know what I mean? Like perfect. See, he should have joined the York Foundation and changed his name to Richard Van Slater. (laughs) That's true. He was there. He was around there at that time, right? He he was. Yeah. I mean, he, uh, Richard Van Slater would have been a perfect York Foundation name. And Dick Slater uh, would have been a perfect York Foundation guy too, because it's like, oh God, they got him too. And like, you know, it'd, it'd be it'd be good because he would be, you know, very apprehensive to the analytics, but still, you know, understand that that if it's what's best for his career at this point, he would definitely follow it. So I I, yeah, I you, do enjoy that. And you could see and you could see Alexandra York making it a challenge to like clean him up. 
You know? Right. Yeah. He's like, ah, he's like spitting. She's like, no more tobacco. <laughs> he's like, ah, you know what I mean? Like kind of, yeah, it'd be, I, it, you know, man, what a missed opportunity to not have it, it, Richard it really Van Slater in the York foundation. That's all right. Yeah. No more tobacco, Richard, you know, got him in a nice suit, his hair slicked back, making sure he's freshly shaved at all times. I think it would have worked, you know, but, uh, but Dick Slater, yeah, I think he was 67. I think he had a rough life post wrestling, uh, like a lot of wrestlers of the era. Yeah, I think he had a pill addiction and uh, mm-hmm. you know, painkillers, and at one point he stabbed his girlfriend, I think, and did some time. Or uh, there yeah, was he did a year. I think he did a year of house arrest after that. But yeah, it was. Uh, he claims it was after you know, and this is you know, I was doing a little bit of reading earlier that he got a shot of morphine and a bunch of oxycotton or whatever, and he was like hallucinating or whatnot. So who knows what the story was? But yeah, other, yeah, he it was 2004 that he did this, and yeah, he had a year of house arrest. So well, he wrestled, um, you know, like into the Nitro era. And and he hurt his back, and and that's what ended his career was a back injury, and then I guess that was just uh, you know haunting him along with a, a life of wrestling for the rest of his life. I did not see a cause of death. Uh, did you see a cause of death report? Uh, I did not yet. Yeah, I don't know if anything's actually come out. All I saw was the NWA tweeted it out, and then a bunch of other people started tweeting it out too. But yeah, I don't I don't know if anyone's actually um actually said what not if if you know what what he died of, and I'm sure we'll find out uh, eventually. So, but yeah, yeah, we are six, recording six seven is correct. 67, yeah. We were recording this a couple hours after the news broke, so um, you know there haven't been a lot of details to come out. But but Slater was a guy who, um, you know, he started in Florida. And then he bounced around the territories, but he, he wasn't one of these guys who really went all over the place and, and, and would get anxious and bounce around every six months. When he went somewhere, he, he, he would tend to stick around for a while. He had a long run in Georgia, and then – um, then he had a mid-Atlantic run. He was part of, you know, and he, he popped up in a lot of famous angles too, even if those angles weren't centered around him. Like he was part of the uh, the 1983 Harley race, Ric Flair angle where they put the bounty on Flair and he was part of races, you know, stable of heels with Bob Orton and, uh, and Harley race. And I think Dick Slater, I think those were the three, um, if I'm remembering correct. So he was in Mid-Atlantic, uh, you know, during that era. And then, of course, he was with Watts for a while. And then, you know, what maybe some of our younger listeners might start remembering him uh, from, he had the very short run with the WWF, which was a very weird run. He came in, and now Dick Slater, I mean, you know, if you don't know anything about Dick Slater, I mean, the guy was born to be a heel. I mean, you know, it, 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 it's... And the, the the big knock on Dick Slater was the, the one knock you would hear about Dick Slater is he was a dollar store Terry Funk. If you hear when people want to critique Dick Slater or talk about Dick Slater, they say, and look, there were a lot of similarities to Funk, but I always thought that comparison was uh, not necessarily completely unfair because I saw where they were coming from, but I also didn't think it was entirely accurate because watching Dick Slater you know, even in his prime, you could see similarities to Funk, but I didn't think he was blatantly trying to rip off Terry Funk. I I didn't get that sense. And it's funny because he ended up being tied to Funk in a couple different ways later on. I'll get back to the WWF run, but, um, you know, like in 89, he was part of that whole stable that was aligned with Funk that was feuding with Ric Flair and was part of the match where they did the big post-match angle where Funk used the plastic bag over Ric Flair's head. And so he pops up there. And then later on, and Rich, you probably remember this, you know, he was part of Colonel Rob Parker's stable in WCW. Um, 
you know, where, where I think he replaced Terry Funk in that stable. Or, or Terry Funk replaced him. I don't remember. But one replaced the other in the stud stable. Yeah, in the stud stable. Yeah, I forget, I forget the exact hierarchy or, or, or what happened there. I think, I think you're right that Funk left and then Slater came in yeah. under it, which probably didn't help the comparisons of the two. Right. I right. don't think they crossed over. I think it was exactly like Funk left and Slater came and took his spot, which, yeah, was not, uh, not ideal to break that narrative that, you know, he was just kind of a dollar store Funk, which is I, I don't agree with either. And I don't think it's very true either, but. Yeah, I mean, I can see where they're coming from, but at the same time, I mean, I, I don't know. It's also hard, too, because, you know, Terry Funk is an all-time great. He's one of the greatest pro wrestlers to ever live. You you can't you're, – you're not going to beat Terry Funk. I mean, it's a guy that's – you can't copy him. I mean, you're just not going to be able to, to pull it off. I mean, I, I don't think – let me put it to you this way. I think, like, there were times where I think Buddy Landell was ripping off Ric Flair more than – Dick Slater was ripping off Terry Funk. Oh God, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and you know, it, it's it's. So I I don't know. I, I see where they're coming from, but I don't necessarily agree. So anyway, uh, the territories are winding down, and he gets this weird run in the WWF, and and actually he, you know, he got out of the territories just at the right time. I mean, because it was all downhill from there, really, and he really didn't go back to the territories. He had this bizarre run in the wwe that was like less than a year he came in as a baby face his best role really always was as a, a gritty heel you know he looked like a heel he was a short stout man he wasn't very good looking you know what i mean he looked like no, a guy he looked like, yeah I, why why vince mcmahon of all people would say ah this guy's a baby face like this is like prototypical 1986 vince mcmahon heel like i have no idea why he would have ever made him a baby face it's so weird yeah i mean dick slater looked like a guy where you walk into a bar in an unfamiliar town and he just doesn't like your presence. So he gets off the bar stool and beats you up. Like, yeah, that's what like he spits like. on your feet and, you know, <laughs> he's, he's eating yeah. peanuts when you walk in and he's growling at you. Yeah, it, it's it's very strange that he was a baby face. It never made any sense at all. Yeah. Like, what are you doing here, boy? You know, and he takes you outside and he roughs you up. That's Dick Slater's whole vibe, you know. So he comes into WWF and I can tell you exactly what Vince McMahon. He probably walked into that, that Stanford office. And Vince gave him the once over and said, ah, you're Southern, are you? You're the rebel, Dick Slater. I mean, that's probably exactly how it went down. Yeah, he was, he was, he had many, many Confederate flags all over him. Um, Many Confederate flags. Yeah. This would never fly today. Um, because it wasn't even a heel. Like, oh my god, it wasn't had it. I forgot the shirt was like the rebel with the big American flag. Oh, and he carried. Didn't he carry a, a Rich, Confederate flag too? He yeah. came to the ring with the Confederate <laughs> flag, like he was Corporal Kirshner with the American flag. Like he would be waving the Confederate flag. <laughs> he had a you know a Confederate flag bandana around his neck, and he was just head to toe in the Confederate flag. Now, now listen. If you're 22 years old, you probably don't remember this, but at the time that. It was a different time. I mean, the Dukes of Hazard, you know, was probably at the end of its run. And, you know, it wasn't the same kind of vibe as it is now. But still, I mean, you, you're never getting away with that today. And um, and you could tell that Vince just had no ideas for this man and just said, well, you're Southern, so you're the rebel. You know, so that is just probably the extent of it. And he went nowhere. And he was probably there for eight to ten months or something like that. 86 through the early part of 87, maybe. And he barely ever made TV. He had a couple of squash matches. And then, um, you know, he had a couple matches against other mid-carters, and he never won. And I think he, he, he lost a couple times on Saturday night's main event um, in, in quick squash fashion. And, um, and that was it. And then I think um, 
you know, he was one of these guys who he started to do TV jobs and he saw the writing on the wall and he got the fuck out of there. So that was it for his weird babyface WWF run. And then from there, he bounced around a little bit. And really, he spent the entire back end of his career with WCW. Now, it wasn't a consistent run. He would take a few months off. You know, a new booker would come in who, who, who didn't like him and they'd get rid of him. Then another booker would come in who was one of his pals and they'd bring him in. It was that kind of deal. But for the most part, he, he spent the rest of his career in WCW. 1989, like we talked about, um, he was part of at least the back-end portion of the, 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 the Ric Flair, Terry Funk Wars and the stuff with, you know, Great Muda and Hiro Matsuda and all that. He was part of the whole um, – I forget what that faction was called, but he was part of that. And the JTEX. Then, um, Wasn't it JTEX or something like that or was, JTEX Corporation or something like that I think was it him. Was, and, and, it was indeed JTEX. You are correct. And then uh, when that ran its course, he came back. Of course, a, a lot of people may remember him as, as one half of the hardliners with Dick Murdoch. Um, you know, they were supposed to have that big feud with the Steiners and that never really panned out. And, and then, um, you know, it, 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 a bit of trivia. I know that he was, uh, he was, he was one of the fi- one half of the final United States tag team champions with the barbarian of all people. Which- <laughs> yes. You would have found that out this week. If you listen to a uh, five-star match game here on this uh, voice wrestling podcast network, that was a, uh, a big call. Joe Gagne thought he uh, had some hot shit with that question and uh, forget who got it. Uh, I think either Phil or drew um, got that one. And, and, and they, they knew it right away. He said that, that, you know, this, and they just nailed it. And Gagne was like, Oh, Oh wow. Like, you know, he really thought he had one on that one. Five-star match game, by the way, the WCW 1990 to 1995. You should listen to it too. I think you'd enjoy it. I've listened to all of them so far. I haven't heard that one yet, but I heard this was the closest one yet. This was, Oh my God. I was like nervous. I was like in my car, like, <laughs> like I'm driving home and I'm nervous. Like, I don't know why I'm not involved in this, but I could feel my, like the tension. I was like, Oh no, like this, go- this goes down literally to the last question. So it's, it's, yeah, it's an awesome episode. It was a three-way dance too. It was a three-way dance, yeah. Triple threat. So I don't uh, don't want to spoil anything more for you, but yeah, triple threat goes down to the final final question for the winner. It's it's incredible. Wow, that that I'm gonna have to listen to that. So anyway, um, then in in yeah, so I think people remember that because it was such a bizarre team, Dick Slater and the Barbarian. I mean, it really made no sense. And um, so so they're the final champions. I think they win the titles on one of the syndicated shows, and then the titles are just quickly disbanded after that. And then, um, then, you know, then it's the stud stable stuff that I'm talking about. And, um, and then by this point, we're pretty much into the Nitro era. I mean, he really hung around in and out with WCW from about 89 to like 97 or 96. Yeah, late 96 is when he got hurt. But yeah, I mean, you can, you go back and watch Nitros. He's jobbing. You go watch an episode of Worldwide or whatever. And it's like the giant versus Dick Slater. And you're like, what? (laughs) Like, what the fuck? Like, why, why is Dick Slater still around? And he's, he's like just getting squashed at this point. Like, he's absolutely nothing. But it's, it's so weird. It's just an odd, because that's not what you would assume that, that, the jobber would be the jobber would be sort of sort of trainee guy, a, a perpetual nobody, but it's like, you know, Ric Flair versus Dick Slater. And you're like, Holy shit. But then it's just Ric Flair, like dispatching Dick Slater in, in a minute. And you're like, wait, what? Really? What? Why? How? It's, it's, it's very bizarre. It's so strange to watch some of those matches. He was in his mid to late forties. And, and, and the thing about him is he didn't have a national television wrestling look to begin with. Right. Right. And, and he was also aging 
But right, so you know Eric Bischoff just fucking could not stand him and just wanted him to job on on worldwide or whatever, which is fine. You know, he still got a paycheck, so it works. Yeah, I mean, he had pretty consistent work. I mean, because when you look, it's it's when people like Kevin Sullivan were in charge and things like that. They probably that's probably when he would get brought back. You know, with the Florida connections and all that. But uh, depending on who was in charge for over that six or seven year period, he would you know meander in and out of WCW. I think. The end of Dick Slater getting a strong push was the hardliners. And the hardliners, Slater and Murdoch, really were set to get a big push. But it was almost similar to, um, you know, uh, we talked about a few weeks ago when we talked about the the Midnight Express versus, um, oh, man, their names are escaping me now. He just died. The uh, uh, the, the future tag team, the, um, the futuristic tag team. Oh, uh, God damn. Uh, Why am I blanking on their names, too? I'm yeah, blanking on it, too. We just, we just talked about <laughs> But it, it, it's similar to that in that, you know. Uh, the new breed, had, the new breed. The new breed where. I was thinking of Techno Team, and I know that's not it, so I didn't want to say it. I, for some reason, the Techno Team 2000 was in my head, and I could not stop thinking about the Techno Team. So. They're easy to confuse. It was the same gimmick. but um, Yeah, right. But, but new breed, that big feud, you know because of a car accident got derailed and then the hardliners versus the Steiners, which was going to be like a semi-main event feud at that time got derailed because Scott Steiner got injured. And then it took them so long to get back and the hardliners just fell out of favor. I mean, WCW changed bookers like every six months during this time period and new guys would come in and have different plans. And, and you know, the buddies of the previous booker would be history and they'd bring in new people. And, and that's just the way it went. But he stuck around undercards and prelims for WCW for the better part of those six or seven years, right until he, you know, blew out his back for the final time uh, in the Rough and Ready tag team with Mike Enos. Uh, <laughs> you know, which again, a lot of this was main events and WCW Saturday nights and Worldwide Pro and, WCW and Pro. Pro. Yeah. Uh, all those shows that like nerds like us loved because you'd get tag teams like rough and ready uh, on, you know? So, and all, that's all the stuff we're, we're begging them to put on, on the, uh, on the network because there's just so many like little six minute TV gems on, on all those dopey little shows. And, um, you know, so that's the kind of guy he was at that point. And, uh, that was really it for him. The rough and ready tag team, he blew out his back and then, uh, he never wrestled again. So, um, you know, he had a good career. Um, good, solid territory guy. And then, you know, a guy who, you know, unfortunately, who most of the people who are listening to this probably didn't see a ton of him in his prime. And you really can't turn to the network either because a lot of the places he worked in his prime really doesn't have a lot of content on the network yet. Uh, his WWF run, like we talked about, was just so short and just really wasn't a good representation of him at all. I mean, if you want to go watch two minute you know, Saturday night main event squashes that he's on the wrong end of. I mean, you're really not going to get a good feel for, for Dick Slater. I guess some of the late eighties, early nineties, WCW stuff you can find on there. If, if they're pay-per-view matches or whatnot, but again, you're talking about a guy who was in his late thirties, early forties by that point, uh, clearly wasn't a dude who valued staying in top peak physical condition and, and, no. <laughs> and, and, eating, and eating right. And, and all of those sorts of things. Um, so, you know, you, you got to dig if you want to, if you want to see some vintage, um, uh, prime Dick Slater, but the guy had a long career and, uh, you know, his story ends the way a lot of pro wrestlers from that era, a lot of the way a lot of their stories end. So, uh, just glancing, um, I pulled up cage match, uh, as I was talking, it looks like his final match was, uh, Harlem heat 
defeats rough and ready. Yeah. WCW Pro. <laughs> WCW Pro. So. How, do you like, how do you like this? You know how you were talking about Saturday night and all that stuff that we're all dying to get for like random tag teams? Uh, you're looking at it right now. September 25th, 1996, WCW Saturday night. Rough and ready. Dick Slater and Mike Enos defeat Chris Jericho and Jim Powers. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Come on. Wow. I want to see that. I need to see that. That's why Monsoon Classic's the best. Like the Monsoon Classic YouTube page. We put over, if you don't subscribe to that now, you're just an idiot. I don't know what to tell you anymore. But if you don't, Monsoon Classic on YouTube, there is nothing better. My favorite activity is when I'm like doing housework or I'm doing something. They have, He has playlists and they're all set up by like, you know, years or whatnot. I'll put on WCW Saturday Night 1995 or whatever. Just hit shuffle and let it do its work. You know, and it, it's you just pop in and it's yeah. it's rough and ready versus Chris Jericho and Jim Powers. And you're like, that's awesome. All right, cool. Like, you don't have to sit. And then you sit and you watch for four minutes. And then, you you know, you go back to vacuuming or doing the tin. You come back and, you know, it's it's Ric Flair versus, you know, some random dude in a, in a random squash. You're like, oh, that was cool. All right. Like, it's, I love it. It's the best thing to watch ever in the world. I, it, I cannot recommend enough going to one of those playlists and just hitting shuffle and just letting it take you wherever it's going to take you. Yeah, which is why they should let Monsoon Classic work for the network and program stuff because, you know, he, he finds these gems. And um, it looks like his last Nitro appearance was in February of 96. A, oh, I'm sorry. That was a dark match. It was a dark – listen to this dark match. A dark two-on-one handicap match. The Blue Bloods <laughs> defeat Dick Slater. I mean, geez, uh, yeah, that this, someone didn't show up. That's Bunkhouse Buck didn't show up, right? <laughs> it had, it, it <laughs> had to be. So instead of just throwing another <laughs> opponent in there, um, it looks like his last. He was at World War Three in '95 because you know they stuck everybody in that match. Yeah, yeah. And other than that, it was just straight up Saturday night main event pro. I'm looking for and, and a lot of Nitro dark matches. I'm trying to find the last time that he was on a Nitro. He did wrestle Fall Brawl '95. Um, the the Harlem Heat. That's the Slater and Bunkhouse Buck. I forgot they were tag team champions. They lost the tag team titles to Harlem Heat in that match. So I guess that was his last push. Yeah. Well, here. Okay. So here's the, here's the final Nitro. I think this is uh, Nitro number forty eight, uh, August twelfth, nineteen ninety six. The Dungeon of Doom. Listen to this whole. Yeah. Hugh Morris, Ming, the Barbarian, and the Tack ma- the Taskmaster uh, Master defeat High Voltage. Of course, Kenny Chaos and Robbie Rage and Rough and Ready. Dick Slater and Marquinez. I love the idea of High Voltage and Rough and Ready. They couldn't have possibly been different people. Or different human beings, high voltage, oh, and rough and ready, teaming together. It's like the the quaffed, like young, roided out of their goddamn minds, high voltage, and then rough and ready, <laughs> and then Dick Slater, who I'm sure is the antithesis yeah. of Kenny Chaos and Robbie Rage, but nothing. It's like your tag team partners with nothing in common. There you go. And then uh, they, they had this weird feud on the on the on the B and C shows with Harlem Heat, really, until the last match of his career. I mean. Um, so, so yeah, that was, uh, yeah. I, why was Chris Jericho teaming with Jim powers on WCW <laughs> Saturday night and, and losing to rough and ready? Was that during a period of time where they were mad at Jericho? Um, I think, you know, I don't know if he had been, I think he was still kind of new at that point uh, by 1996. Was, Cause 97 is when he really started getting his push. So this was September 96, but here's yeah, the thing. He's pretty early at that point. But Rich, I don't ever remember Jericho being a jobber to the stars. I don't, I, I, you know right, what I mean? Right, right, So I don't know if maybe he had rubbed someone the wrong way at that point in time. I don't remember. I know he had gotten, you know, some heat at various points in time during his run. But you're right. That is pretty early on. So because he was. He okay, was yeah, something must have happened. Yeah, something. Because I'm looking at his, I'm looking at his 1996. So he comes in in August of 96. He basically wins every match. Uh, like you said, he loses a match to Chris Benoit. But that's at, you know, whatever. That's fine. Nothing that's, wrong with that. Yeah. yeah. 
he loses to Arn Anderson, Ric Flair. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's that's okay. Uh, and then just yeah, there's other losses to Dick Slater, Mike Enos on WCW Saturday Night. And then the next Nitro, he loses to Arn Anderson, which again, that's fine. And then he just kind of goes back to winning again. So like on that yeah. night, did they call like an audible? Did someone get hurt or did like? I don't. I don't know. I, that is just Powers. a bizarre maybe Powers, God. Maybe maybe Jericho was the yeah. Jim Powers is the guy that fucked it up for them or something. I, I don't know. That's really bizarre. Are the September '96 Saturday nights on the network, or is that a year that they don't have up yet? I'd like to watch that. See what the hell the commentators are saying. Let me see if I'll see if Monsoon has that. With the Jim Powers. Well, well the network has a lot of the uh, Saturday nights uh, up too now. So it may be on one or the other, but I would um, I would like to listen. It's a classic. Of course it is. Look up Jim Powers, Chris Jericho go. on Google. First result will be Chris uh, Chris Jericho and Jim Powers versus Dick Slater and Mike Enos from Saturday Night. So. Yeah. Of course Monsoon Classic would have that because he knows <laughs> it's bizarre. Yeah. Now, I, I want to I watch that later and listen to the commentary because maybe that'll explain it a little bit. Or, you know, Jericho at that point. Who knows? Uh, was he a heel or face that? He was. Uh, he was face. He yeah, he was face, face until yeah. basically like late '97. Until he he was you know fiery, let's go you know baby face guy for a while forever. And then yeah, it was in '97 I think when he say that again. I'm done. <laughs> That's a good Jericho impression. I wanted what? to hear that again. I'm good. I can't. I, you know, I can't force it. It just happens. Maybe Come on, baby. You, know? <laughs> That's... you ever watch the? You ever watch Jericho in in, in War? Yes. Oh like, my God, it's great. Yeah. Because there's like no commentary in any of those matches, and he just you know come on baby like yeah, just constantly. slapping the mat every second. Ah, let's go, let's go. Yeah, like just I love it. I love when he comes out of the ring. And he's slapping every hand, everyone's hand. Even if you don't want to slap Chris Jericho's hand, you fucking have to slap Chris Jericho's hand because he was like, come on, baby, let's go. And just slapping every single person and putting his back into the crowd. Like no one really wants to touch him. It's like just get in the fucking ring, Jericho. Let's go. But yeah, that's that's what baby faces did, right? You know, <laughs> he he's top of the charts with in-match banter. It's 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 Jericho, and my other favorite one is Wild Bill Irwin. Now, I don't know how many Wild Bill Irwin matches you've seen, Rich, but this man never shut the fuck up when he was in the <laughs> yeah, I got it. I guess I've never really paid attention. I'll have to... Uh... Yeah, I mean, it, it just incre- he just would never shut up, and uh, those are my probably... And, he, and talking shit, too. Like, talking some Wild Bill Irwin shit, you know? And, of course, Iron Mike Sharp with the grunting. You know, everyone knows about Iron Mike. Like, mm-hmm. he, he wasn't really a shit talker or a banter guy. Iron Mike Sharp was just constantly grunting and making guttural noises. And then you have Gato, who is cursing at everybody in, in English during his matches. Uh, so those are like the, those those guys are four of the tops when it comes to you know the in ring banter, so to speak. But um, yeah, Kevin Owens is a good one. Modern. Sometimes he puts it on a little too much. But um, he's a good one, yeah. But yeah, he, but he's not bad. Yeah, he, he's you know WWE now they they kind of sometimes overdo it a little bit with him. Uh, but it's not bad. It's it's I, I still enjoy it pretty good. Like he's awesome but, when he's like waiting to get tagged in. Like that's a good spot for him too. Like he's or when he has someone in a chin lock. Yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah. You know, but but Gato just curses for no reason. It doesn't even fit the context of what's happening. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Ah, fucking fuck, 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 fuck. Like, Yeah, I'll just go motherfucker. Like yeah. for no reason. Like you like what are, what are you doing? Like you're just you know you're 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 mat wrestling right now. I don't I don't understand what's happening. But um but yeah so, um Dirty Dick Slater, uh sixty seven years old. Um he's dead, Rich. Unfortunately, yes. So, uh all right. So yeah, for, uh, I hate that we have to <laughs> start these shows, but it's been an uh, unfortunate run. But uh, you know I do I I don't I don't enjoy that we have to do these. But like I said, it's it's good to kind of take the strip down memory lane too. And I think people enjoy it as well. So it's cool to see that. But uh, well, look at it from this perspective. We're all gonna die. 
Yeah. Right? I think that's a given. Now, how much have you thought about Dirty Dick Slater in the last, I don't know, 10 years? Very, very like, little. Yeah, but, very little. But you remember all this stuff we just talked. Like, you're like, oh, yeah, rough and ready. Right. And, like, I'm definitely going to watch that Jericho match later. And I, and you know what I mean? Like, and you were saying, like, how to watch Dick Slater stuff. I mean, YouTube has so much because they have a ton of Mid-South yeah. stuff. Like, you just type in Dick Slater on YouTube and just go away. You know what I mean? Like, you'll you'll find enough in in, in, in just perusing. Because, yeah, the network is not going to have a whole lot for you. Monsoon Classic will have, you know, some of the job matches and stuff like that. But if you really want to dig in, hell, YouTube's just got so much Mid-South stuff, so much of those early territory stuff. But, yeah, you can just throw Dick Slater into, into, into a YouTube search and you'll probably find a lot of stuff to kind of dig, uh, dig into and, and, and sink your teeth into, which is awesome. I wonder... Now, I know he was a, a, a fixture for a number of years in all Japan. Did he work? New, I don't think he worked New Japan at all. So he probably wouldn't pop up on New Japan World because I think he was an all Japan guy. And let me see. I'm glancing at the cage match. And yeah, he was an all Japan guy through and through. I don't think he ever stepped foot in a new. So you're not going to find him on New Japan World either. You're not going to find much on the network. So if you subscribe to these things, like Rich says, if you want to find, you know, when he, Prime Dick Slater, I mean, you're going to have to turn to YouTube. And daily motion in places like that. Yeah, I mean, I I was doing that because we have a we had an article we put up on the the website uh, this week about uh, Staggerly and that whole you know the whole angle going on with that. And like I there was one I was working on it the other day, and I was kind of trying to find videos that that worked for it. And there's a video that was like mid south best of mid south angles or whatever. It's like a four hour video of just like guys cutting promos and 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 angles and whatnot. I just put it on in the background. It was just awesome to just sit there and watch it. It's just you know Michael Hayes talking shit to some. It's just it was oh my god, it was incredible. I watched it for like two hours, and I'm gonna go back and watch the rest of it. It was just no matches, just kind of the angles, the attacks, all that sort of stuff. A lot of really cool stuff in there. So yeah, there's a lot of good mid south stuff on YouTube. So. Did you and I had no idea this was a thing until I pulled up uh, Cage Match thirty seconds ago. Did you know he had a little run in War in nineteen ninety three. I saw that. I saw like I, I saw that, and then I saw in nineteen ninety six he did like a match with Mister Pogo or something. And oh, jeez, weird. Like, yeah, I was like, really? Like, why the fuck? Like, go if, if you scroll up to nineteen ninety six, you'll see it's like somewhere in August of ninety six or something like that. I, I closed the window, so I don't have it. But yeah, I, I don't even know the name of the promotion. I couldn't even recognize the promotion. But yeah, I was like Mister Pogo and Dick Slater in like a tag match or something. It was very bizarre. Rich Dick Slater lost to John Tenta on Cork and Hall in 1990. <laughs> that's awesome. We gotta oh find that because that's, that's on tape. If that's Cork and Hall, that's gonna be on tape somewhere. If it was Cork and, I need to see that. Was he was I he listed as John Tenta at that point? Let me see if it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, John Tenta defeats Dick Slater in Cork and Hall. It was uh, the date is uh, April 5th, 1993, and of course they drew 2,100 fans because uh, you know. You can only fit eighteen hundred, but we'll look the other <laughs> way on that. We'll look the other way on that. On that uh, not seeing show, it, not seeing it right now on uh, on the on the two, but I'm sure it's got to be somewhere. Oh, somewhere that's out it. there. Somewhere that's out it. there. On the same show, Haku defeated Rio, Lord of the Jungle. So, <laughs> <laughs> man, I might even have this. Oh, yeah, and, and you, of course, you know, Rio, Lord of the Jungle, right? That's it's Renegade. The Renegade, the Renegade, yeah, yeah. So you, it, it's I, I may have this VHS in my mother's <laughs> attic. I mean, You're going to I, go to Jersey. Go. What are you doing this weekend? Go to Jersey. Come on. Because this is the era of war where I was getting all their tapes because I was heavy into war, and and so I I, I may have this John Tenta Dick Slater match, and uh, if someone could walk me through it, I'd be happy to upload it for the masses. How would I even go about doing that off of VHS? Oh, geez. Yeah, it's, it's a pain in the ass. <laughs> That's all I'll tell you. It's a pain in the ass. But it's pretty remarkable when the Renegade is like your best gimmick <laughs> that you've ever had in your career. But uh, no, no, no slight of Rio the Lord of the Jungle though. I hate to. Uh... Better or worse than the Renegade? What do you think he was happier with? Well, I mean, uh, 
He definitely, I don't, well, I should, happy's probably the wrong. He was definitely not happy being the renegade, uh, given how. Well, no. It, went. Yeah. Yeah. Led to his, you know, killing himself. But, um, it wasn't the same thing, basically, right? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Except one was just a complete blatant ripoff of the, uh, but real Lord of the Jungle is really like not a ripoff of L2 Warrior either. You know what I mean? It was like, yeah. you know, there was definitely a, a, a tinge of, uh, that's the guy you're going to, uh, Try to play off of, but yeah, that's 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 so that's six later. Um, go on YouTube, find his good stuff. Go find that Jim Powers Chris Jericho match. Report back to us when you uh when you do watch that. But uh, yeah, plenty of other stuff to get to this week. We got to talk about uh, Impact's Bound for Glory pay per view, uh, and uh, whatever the hell's going on with Austin Aries. Uh, we'll talk about that main event. Uh, Super Junior Tag League. We're going to check in with the New Japan Super Junior Tag League. See what the results are looking like so far. Teams that have impressed us so far. Uh, NWA 70th anniversary show coming up this weekend. We'll talk about that. DDT Peter Pan, that's coming up this weekend as well. We also got WWE Crown Jewel and WWE's World Cup to determine the best in the world. So we're going to talk about that. And oh yeah, there's a little bit of controversy with that Crown Jewel show too. So we'll uh, we'll discuss that at length, I'm sure. Uh, before we do all that, I do want to let you know that this episode of the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast is sponsored by our good friends at ZipRecruiter. And Joe, you know, there are job sites that send you tons of the wrong resumes to sort through. That's not smart. But Joe, do you know what is smart? Going to ZipRecruiter.com slash VOW to hire the right person. ZipRecruiter does not depend on candidates finding you, Joe. It finds them for you. It's powerful matching technology, scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience for your job, and actively invites them to apply so you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the United States. And this rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. So you know it's reliable. Right now, voice wrestling listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive address, ZipRecruiter.com slash VOW. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash VOW, ZipRecruiter.com slash VOW, ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right. Um, Crown Jewel from undisclosed location happening in a few weeks i guess it's not not happening so what's the date on this thing uh let me get the exact dates because uh it's i think it's two weeks from now and um i'll just say if they haven't canceled it yet uh they're probably not canceling this thing's happening uh november 2nd november 2nd is uh wb crown jewel so we didn't want to talk about it last week because we were wondering if some news was going to come out, and some stuff did come out, but nothing new on the WWE front for Crown Jewel. What, what, what are kind of your overall thoughts and your overall take right now? Without getting, I mean, we don't have to get too much into the details. You probably know the, the you know, the, the the thing going on and other issues going on around the world, and that's why this is such a controversy. But let's try to keep it at least just to wrestling here. Uh, what are your thoughts on them still doing the show and 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 not, you know, looking into the matter, but really kind of not looking into the matter, just kind of turning up a blind eye to it and, and continuing to go forward with it. I get the sense that they're going to let the shareholders dictate this one. Um, I think if if the shareholders and the key shareholders put the heat on, then something could be done. The problem is if you if you if you go on uh, uh, Mookie Ghana, Chris Mookie Harrington's uh, Twitter feed, he he explains the the money losses that the company would take on if they don't go through with the show. Um, and, and that's where I think, you know, maybe the investors, cause we haven't really heard any chirping out of the investors and we haven't seen like a, a huge stock dip or anything like that based on any of this. And really 
at this point, what the company is doing is this, they're essentially just sweeping it under the rug. They're refusing to say the words Saudi Arabia. They're refusing to say the words, um, what's the name of the prince? What's the name of this dude? That they're doing uh, yeah, I forget. I'm, I'm blanking on his name now. Yeah, but, uh, yeah everyone. I, I really yeah, yeah. What's, I, um, I, uh, what's his fucking name? Everybody's oh, buddy. Yeah, yeah. You know, the Rock's drinking buddy, even though you can't drink in Saudi Arabia. And, and uh, you know, everyone's pal over there, whatever that dude's name is. But you, they're not uttering, you know, his name. They're not uttering the words Saudi Arabia anymore at this point. Um, they're they're mentioning the show, but they're not mentioning a location. It's going to be very odd if the show does happen to watch this on the network and have them try to just refrain from mentioning where they're broadcasting from. Um, you have to wonder if the Saudi Arabians, the people fronting the money for this thing, are going to be annoyed by that. And because part of this, and this is really the crux of the problem, Rich, part of this is WWE doing PR for the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. So if you're not mentioning the kingdom of Saudi Arabia and you're not putting them over as this great progressive place, then Saudi Arabia is not getting the return on their investment here for paying these guys to come in and do the show and do their PR for them. So, you know, maybe this, you know, the Saudi Arabians are tone deaf and they're going to be like, Hey, why are you wiping us from this show? We're paying you good money to tell everybody, and then WWE is in, 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 in a between a rock and a hard place at that point because I think their plan is just to ignore that the show is taking place in Saudi Arabia. Right. Yeah, and, and and there was if you watch Raw, I mean, I think I, I didn't I didn't see it, but I know I, the people were, were were tailing it up. I think they mentioned Crown Jewel eighty four times and never once mentioned Saudi Arabia. Like right. never once mentioned where it was located on the website for a while. There they took it down where you it, it, it said buy your tickets and Crown Jewel and all this sort of stuff but there's no mention of saudi arabia they, they have put that back on now so it does say it's taking place in saudi arabia again but i guess their idea is to not actually vocalize it ever not actually ever say that it's taking place there so on the website yeah. it'll say that wherever you look it'll say it but they will not actually utter the name saudi arabia which is not what that contract's for the contract for you know as, as you said the reason they have a 10-year contract or a 10 show or whatever the hell it was and the reason why you know there's this whole initiative from saudi arabia and why they're paying money for wwe and cirque du soleil and and all these things to come over is because they want people to tell you know they want the word, word to get out that that saudi arabia is different that we're progressive that we've moved on that we're that we're this 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 or whatever you know you know it, it, it's in ways it's propaganda you know it, it's it's government purchased you know, PR delivered by these Western companies to the rest of the world. And and by not saying where the show's from, you're kind of, yeah, as you said, at Rocket Heart, I don't know exactly the right terminology there, but yeah, it's not, you know, you're, you're not, they're not getting the return on investment. They don't want you just to come do the show. They don't give a shit. I mean, that, that's the obviously one big thing to come and, and bring entertainment to, the, to their people, but they want you talking about Saudi Arabia. They want people in the West watching the show and seeing that video that they played during the greatest yes. world rubble, which is women driving and, and Michael Cole going, Oh my God, it's so amazing that women can drive now and, and all that sort of stuff. That's what they're paying for. They're paying for Michael Cole to ham it up and talk about, you know, women's empowerment in Saudi Arabia. That's, that's why they're paying. The money and, and it's going to be interesting to see if the show does happen if we if they do run videos like that or if they completely try to just let's get through this show let's totally ignore where we are and let's drop the problem but at that point again will saudi will the saudi arabians be okay with that are they self-aware enough to understand that their business partner and i'm talking about kingdom of saudi arabia now are they self-aware enough to understand that their business partner is in a terrible position here and, and, and to not put them in that predicament. 
uh, if if WWE decides to go through with the show, which it sure looks like they plan on going through with it. Now, there are people, there are politicians on both sides of the aisle who want WWE to get the fuck out of yeah, it. Yeah, which I think is remarkable that you have, like, you know, <laughs> the two opposite ends of the spectrum where you have... You At know, this like, point in history, too, where right. they... Yeah, you have Lindsey Graham on one side, you know, the, the one of the, <laughs> the most staunch Republicans to the left, and then you have, like, you know, other Democrats that both agree, ah, you know, you should probably not do this. <laughs> like, on, on of everything that these people, they will disagree about what, 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 where the sky, you know, where the sun sets, they will disagree and, and vote differently on it. But both of them agree. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Maybe don't, maybe don't do this. Maybe don't yeah. go on the show. So, I mean, there's a lot of pressure to get the fuck out. But if you just, I mean... Listen, when you have JBL going on cable talking about how they shouldn't pull out and how great it is for everybody involved, when you have, uh, you know, like Randy Orton coming out, there's voices from inside the company who are still spouting company lines. So it tells me that there's no plans as of this recording for them to pull out of the show just to simply hope all of this goes away and sweep it under the rug and and not only keep the money, but not lose the significant amount of money they'd be set to lose if they don't run the shows either. Because this was a good point brought up by people today too. You better believe Brock Lesnar is going to want his money whether he gets on that plane or not. I mean, you know, you better believe these wrestlers will want to be paid and deserve to be paid. Right, and that, that was something that Chris brought up too because there was some investors talking about this and there was some different articles coming up there and they were talking about just the loss of not having you know the show and and the amount that they wouldn't get paid for for, for doing the show. And he brought up, yeah, you, you guys are thinking of that level, but also there's people that, that like a Brock Lesnar type, a Shawn Michaels type, an Undertaker. Like Shawn Michaels is returning to the ring. Like he's getting back in ring shape and, and doing all this sort of shit and you can't just now say, ah, whatever, ah, we're not going to... I mean, you're, you're going to have to pay him. I mean, you can just pay him and, and say whatever. Yeah, sorry, okay, we're not doing doing this thing but you're not getting you know WWE isn't getting a return on their investment then they're gonna have to just have pay Shawn Michaels and say yeah sorry we're not doing the show or whatever which again like I don't disagree that they should do but the idea that they're looking at it is oh shit we get we we got Brock Lesnar back we we you know Lesnar was gone we know that we know that from everything that was said Lesnar was gone and then they said hey you know hey how about this and he's like okay you know what I'm back now you know I'm back for for this show or whatever Shawn Michaels retired for for a decade or whatever it has been now coming back for the show I mean guys that that, that they've been pulling a bunch of different dudes we don't even know who they've contacted from other places as well because we know that they like to to stack up these shows a little bit. So if you cancel it, it's not only that you just say, hey, Saudis, we don't want your money anymore. And we're breaking our 10-year our contract or whatever. But also, hey, Brock, sorry, you're not going to get paid anymore. Like, that's not going to happen. Brock's going to get his money. So Brock's going to get his four million, three or four million or whatever the hell it was. And, and Michael's going to get whatever the hell he was going to do. So I thought that was another good point by... Uh, uh, by 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 Mookie and, and just to let you guys know as well if you're interested in kind of the business aspects of this we we are not we're just kind of regurgitating what we've heard from other people but uh, I did I do know that uh, that Brandon Howard and Chris Harrington WrestleNomics of course on the the Voice Wrestling Podcast Network uh, they also have a Patreon as well patreoncom WrestleNomics they are doing a special show I believe either today or tomorrow all about the business aspect of Crown Jewel and, and and the benefit of canceling it, how much money they make for it, and all the other kind of ins and outs and stuff, because they've been studying it and and really honing in on it. So yeah, if you're, if you're interested in learning a little bit more about the ins and outs of that, and I'm sure they'll get new information as well as the, as the day goes on, but uh, patreon.com uh, slash WrestleNomics for that if you want to uh, listen in. If all of the PR aspects weren't attached to it, and they were simply running a show in Saudi Arabia, I think they'd be facing less heat not not it wouldn't be devoid of heat but i think a huge part of the issue for a lot of people is they're not just going over there and and running one of their events but they're doing pr for saudi arabia right right it's not like the you know the 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 super showdown was essentially just a show that took place in australia like yeah they did a little bit of oh my god melbourne is so beautiful and all that sort of stuff but it was kind of devoid of uh of that sort of stuff greatest royal rumble was multiple you know 
cues to get to videos talking about how progressive they are and Michael Cole. Like, yeah, it, it's a different animal here. It's not simply just running a show in Saudi Arabia, which, like you said, would still cause some issues. But the fact that they're going to go over there and tell everybody how progressive Saudi Arabia is and stuff, it's going to look, it's going to be a horrible look. And like you said, it you can't, they don't want you to go down there and not do that. Like, that's what they're paying you for. They're paying you for that purpose of, of going there and doing that. So you can't just run the show there. I, I don't know that, I, again, I have no idea what their contract entails or whatnot, but I know they're not paying the amount of money they're paying for you just to run a show in their in their cities. Like, they, they want that to be something uh, that's pretty important. But uh, it's it's quite the controversy, man. It's, it's and, and, here's, the, here's the thing. The longer they hold out in making a decision, the more likely it is that they're going to run the show because the longer they take to make the decision... Joe, they they, knew, nothing new came Monday. Monday night when they came onto that show and said, we were doing qualifiers for the Crown Jewel... That was yeah. it. You know it's over now. They knew on Monday. Monday was the time when they could have really said, "All right, look, no, we're you know Vince McMahon could have said, "All right, I, whatever, we're just we're not going to do it. We'll worry about it later. But let's not put it over. Let's not talk about it. Let's the second the show starts, we're doing WWE Crown Jewel qualifiers. Like you know, a hundred percent, they're running the show by Monday's show. They we every information that we've known, we've known on Monday. Monday afternoon, we learned a little bit more about the, the, this you know this murder and a little bit more about the details of it. By that point, we already which, knew which are which are grisly. By the way, oh, they're horrible. I mean, they, yeah, they chopped this man into pieces by accident, of course. You know, whoops. You know, just, yeah, one of those rogue interrogations where you whoops, we hacked this guy. Interrogation, off. Yeah. interrogation gone wrong, and then we find out he was hacked into pieces. Yeah, so I, I mean, disgusting. it's grisly, and and but here's the thing: the sooner you pull out, the more backpatch you get. Now, you're not going to get universal backpats ever because you got into bed with these guys to begin with. But the longer you take the pull out, the less backpatch you're going to get for doing the right thing. If they pull out three days before the show, people are still going to be annoyed because they're going to say, oh, well, you got dragged kicking and screaming into pulling out. For sure. Oh, yeah. really they they need to be out there right out in front. Like they're, they're, they're in a horrible situation now where they're, they're, nothing they do is going to be right. And, and it shouldn't be right. right because they waited this long to do it. And, and again, like getting in, and you mentioned that thing too. I think another lost aspect of this is that Saudi Arabia didn't like get bad yesterday. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it wasn't. Right. It was ridiculous, and we talked about it during the Greatest Royal Rumble, and we talked about how, you know, okay, like, really? This is, you're going to run propaganda for Saudi Arabia? And and our attitudes then were kind of just it's like, eh, whatever. But that's before they chop the man into pieces. Yeah, well, I mean, they're 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 an atrocious. I mean, they've done a lot of shitty things as well. So I, I always kind yeah. of find it funny as well, where people sort of turn a blind eye to it as well. And and what what I'm not going to get into that today, but you know, of course, yeah, it's not. Yeah, that's there's no reason for us to get into that. No, no. Uh, you got Kane here who holds public office, <laughs> yeah, and he's man, small business administrator. I mean, here's the thing: he can but Kane could get away. With pulling out of this thing, yeah. And, why is he not? And I and he explicitly said because, he's going to. Like what? Oh, he came out and and strongly said, "I'm going. I'm working the event. That money's got to be real good." <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but he more than anyone else. He more than anyone on the roster. He's the only one on the roster who can really go to Vince and say, "Hey, look, I hold public office. Yeah, you I know no I choice, can't man. do the show. You know I, I got to go. Right? <laughs> like." I gotta not do I, you know, and 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 I think he's the one guy where McMahon wouldn't hold it against him because he understands. Um, so I think that's interesting too. But um, yeah, it's a fucking shit show. Look, I, here's my deal. I, uh, you know, I'm just watch it all play out. You know, and and I'm curious to see what the tone of the broadcast will look like. Um, I'm curious to see what the aftermath will be. Uh, all of those things to me are fascinating uh, to see how they handle it, to see how they handle the broadcast, to see what happens in the aftermath. Um, and oh, by the way, you know, they are holding a wrestling show. Um, 
<laughs> that just feels silly, like to go over, uh, you know, this card, which takes place when it is, um, because it's so secondary yeah. to uh, to everything else that's going on. But they're having a wrestling show here, an in canon wrestling show. Um, and and this and look, this is a wrestling podcast. You know, what do you want me to do? What do you want Joe Lanza to do? You know, I, they're having a wrestling card here, and uh, you know, it's we got to look at it. So you know they, they're having their World Cup tournament with what, they're having wrestlers. What? Well, yeah. Well, you know, I don't want to uh, step on your toes here and steal your thunder, but they're having a World Cup tournament with. But wait, hold on, you're missing something. What? What kind of? It's a World Cup of what though? That's right, World World Cup of uh, no. I think it, well, it's a World Cup, Joe. You have to explicitly. It's a World Cup to determine the best in the world. Okay, that's right. Yeah, that, that's true. Mm-hmm. Instead of just a normal World Cup, it's a World Cup to determine the best in the world. And Michael Cole There's made sure eight, you eight. knew that it was to determine the best in the world. It's not one of those other WWE World Cups. It's the one that determines the best in the world. So. Best in the world. Eight competitors, Rich. Oh, from all, all walks of life, all corners of the universe. John Cena from West Newberry, Massachusetts. Kurt Angle from Pennsylvania. Jeff Hardy from North Carolina. Randy Orton from I forget, but somewhere in America. Seth St. Rollins Lewis, from Iowa. Oh, I see St. Louis. Yeah, all right. Uh, Seth Rollins, uh, Iowa. Dolph Ziggler, Ohio. The Miz, Ohio. And my guy, we know who the West Coast is rooting for because Rey Mysterio from Los Angeles, California. Or from San the Diego, 619, whatever, yeah. my friend. San Diego. San Diego. San Diego. Yeah, so there's your so, World Cup. I was really glad the West Coast got uh, some representation, though. I was kind of worried there, and then Ray won, and I was like, whew, thank God. <laughs> and two people from Ohio, too. Split allegiances in Ohio there for this uh, World Cup, so. Well, I mean, Kurt Angle, Kurt Angle did compete as the conquistador to um, to That's qualify. True. <laughs> That's so, true. Um, so, I mean, technically, he could be rep in Mexico, um, you know. And I guess, I guess there was a Bulgarian involved at some point, right? With uh, uh, there was, yeah, Rusev, uh, but unfortunately, did not make the cut. He uh, he uh, lost to the Miz. So, yeah. <laughs> There was a Scottish man in here, and yeah, and Shinsuke Nakamura from Japan, but no, Jap- Japanese fella. Yeah, <laughs> I made it. I love it. Samoa, not, just honestly, just have Nakamura in it. You know what I mean? Like, just have Nakamura, and then I would almost be like, "All right, it's kind of a World Cup to determine the best in the world." But now, I mean, it's it's really just a. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Samoa was represented. Yeah, yeah, no. Nah. Well, he's Samoa. from like Huntington Beach, California. I don't think we're gonna are we gonna count that as. I'm trying here. You know? <laughs> I guess was he born in uh no, he was born in fucking Orange County. I yeah, know he doesn't count. He was born in Huntington Beach. Count. <laughs> I mean it is pro wrestling. You could build these gentlemen from wherever you like, but uh he's not even billed from Samoa. No. He's, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah. World. You know. Gorilla Monsoon was billed from Manchuria for many years. Right, so. yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah. You know. <laughs> you can really build them from wherever you want. Um, Did you hear what Dave said about this this World Cup thing? And I don't know if Dave's just spouting off, but I doubt he would because it was like very, very obvious that like it was it was it was not like like Dave Meltzer was getting into it like very specifically. And I imagine he wasn't just like kind of like, oh, this was possibly what it is that this whole idea of the WWE World Cup to determine the best in the world was because Qatar got the World Cup and Saudi Arabia felt jealous that Qatar got the World Cup. So they wanted their old World Cup. So they got the WWE World Cup to determine the best. in That the world. cannot be the reason. <laughs> he seemed very explicit about it. He was like, yeah, Brian, you know why they're called the World Cup? And, and Brian was like, ah, nope. I, and, and like, Brian doesn't even know what the fuck a World Cup is. So he was like, ah, no, I do not. And he's like, oh, well, it's because Qatar got the World Cup. And, and then he went into this for like 20 minutes or whatever, which is pretty uh, pretty fun. But That is, I, I'm stunned. I hadn't heard that, and I'm stunned by it. That can't be the real reason that I... they asked for. 
a wrestling. I mean, you're comparing the, the, the biggest sporting event on the face of the globe to this dopey wrestling tournament. I, you got to be kidding me. I mean, that's I, I thought it was kind of ridiculous. Saudi Arabia to, to yeah. ask for that. But would it be like, given what we know about the uh, the sumo wrestler and some of the other things that they've asked for, would that be totally shocking to you that they'd said, hey, give us some sort of World Cup tournament, some some sort of uh, tournament to possibly determine the best in the world? And and that's got to be it, too. That's got to be an edict to like determine the best in the world, like somehow, some way. Michael Cole said that like 19 times on Raw. It was... Why don't they put one of the Saudi Arabian guys that they showed on Greatest Royal Rumble that they signed in the tournament? Oh, why right. I, yeah. Yeah. Why, what am I doing guys? <laughs> why am I doing this anyway? Like, why am I even thinking this through? Like, I mean, that would have made sense, right? But um, mm-hmm. all I know is I cannot can wait even... for November 2nd. We're going to find out who is the best in the world finally. And it's finally, either John yeah. Cena, Kurt Angle, Jeff Hardy, Randy Orton, Seth Rollins, Dolph Ziggler, The Miz, or Rey Mysterio. It is none of their champions. It is, in fact, one of those men that I just listed. So. Are they going to get a belt like Braun that we'll never see again? <laughs> Remember, Braun got a belt for winning the greatest. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't carry that around, does he? It was like green or something with palm trees on it. It looked like the old FCW title or, or something. What happened to that title? Braun still have it. You have to carry it to every town just in case. <laughs> like, it was like red, too, if I remember correctly. Like the belt face is red. You got a big trophy too. Know. Wasn't it a big gaudy trophy too, with like Vince and the and the and the Prince there giving him the trophy? Who Braun? Nah, I thought it was just a title belt. No, I think he got a big trophy too. Did he? I think he got a title and a trophy. I don't. I, okay, hold on one second. Let's hold on. Well, while you're looking that up, you know we're yeah, getting no, an AJ Styles. No, we got a big ass trophy and the Prince is in there cheering him on. Oh, okay. I just yeah, maybe Vince I was just. Is- yeah, I know you were loopy. It was probably like 4 a.m. when you were watching that. So. I mean, it, was a, it was a really long show, and it was just a bizarre show, and the match was fucking horrendous. And yeah. But I mean, we're getting an AJ Styles Daniel Bryan world title match mm-hmm. on this show, presumably. Um, you know, we're getting DX versus the Brothers of Destruction set up brilliantly at the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> greatest super show ever, whatever that was called. <laughs> super Real showdown. Super, super show, show dash showdown. down. Dash down, though. Yeah. Dash down, yes. Yeah. We have to be grammatically correct with our... Uh, with our pro- and then we get Brock Rain, uh, Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns, and Braun Strowman. Triple threat for the title. So, along with this tournament. That's it, though. That's the whole... That's all we have. Huh? That's all we have. Yeah, no... Uh... Those, they're bringing the big guns, though. These are all huge stars. Mm-hmm. Big guys. So. Sorry, let's move on. I'm sick of talking about this. Bound for Glory. Let's finally get to a company that's got its shit together, Joe. Bound for Glory, Impact Wrestling. Let's go. Y'all, their ducks are in a row. <laughs> right, so thank God. Some stability. Finally, a company with some fucking stability and a clear idea of what's going on moving forward. Yeah, um, so what the hell's going on with Austin Aries? We, everybody knows by now, probably. Uh, main event. Johnny Impact defeats Austin Aries. Uh, we'll talk about the matches and, and, and Bomb for Glory here in a little bit, but I think this is the big story. Uh, defeats him, wins the Impact World Championship. Uh, Austin Aries stands up immediately, uh, flicks off Don Kales, tells him to go fuck himself or whatever, uh, flicks off the crowd and then walks to the back before Johnny Impact's really even up or has grabbed the belt. So uh, what the hell's going on? Is this a work? Is this a shoot? What, what did you make of, of this whole situation? Yeah, some very goofy selling at the end and then those and then popping right up and no selling the finish like he's... Hercules walking out of the company after taking a Sid powerbomb in MSG. And then, uh, yeah, flips everybody off and walks away. Um, every indication as of right now is 
you know, it's not some kind of wacky work shoot. He wasn't at the taping. Um, you know, and and TMZ man over at the uh, Pro Wrestling Sheet reported that he talked to a couple people inside the company and they said, look, I, the guy walked out. It's legit. What do you want from us? Now, depending on who we talk to, if it is some kind of angle, of course, they're going to put over the angle and leak that out to TMZ man. And, um, you know, no offense to TMZ man, but I'm not so sure he has, you know, everyone's always trying to work you in wrestling and work the sheets. And I'm not, you know, fully confident in his ability to read between lines and whatnot. And they may see him as somebody who they can work. Um, so who knows, but you know, if you take his report at face value, which I suppose there's no reason not to, uh, considering that nobody else is really reporting that this is some kind of work, at least to my knowledge, we reached out to the people we know inside and they don't know anything. It's just, you know, Austin, all they know is Austin Aries isn't there anymore. So, and, uh, supposedly his contract was up at the conclusion of the match they put the title on Johnny Impact, I guess, because I guess they feel like if he's going to be on CBS, you know, for the next however many weeks, I don't know if did Survivor start yet. I don't even know the answer to that. I have no um, clue. Yeah, I'm not a Survivor guy, but uh, no, it's coming soon. Yeah. So, um, you know, and, and, you know, nobody knows how long he lasts. Those things are closely guarded secrets. They usually get out, though. I mean, a lot of the insider uh, television sites usually get leaks on the reality shows, even though there's very strict uh, contract you have to sign where you forfeit all your winnings and you get sued for you know a billion dollars if you leave. It, it always manages to get leaked anyway. So, do I think it's possible that you know John Johnny Impact John Hennigan whatever you want to call him, you know, you, do I think it's possible that Don Callis called him into the office and said, "Hey, listen, man, how long do you last on this show? How long can we milk the fact that you're going to be on CBS? You know, how many weeks do I have to work with here?" I think that's entirely possible. Oh, sure, um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it, especially, in, and you know, if he goes really far in the show and is, is, and makes it to the end and all those sorts of things, Survivor's a big show, you know, and that'll get some hype. And I can kind of see a company that's struggling to attract viewers. Oh, in any oh way no, I mean, that, that's a no brainer. I'd absolutely give him the titles. Yeah. So, they, I mean, and if you need that more than anybody, Survivor's the kind of show where, you know, I, I mean, look at Johnny Fairplay, for God's sake. I mean, you can build a reputation off Survivor, whether you're, you know, however long lasting it might be, but you know, there's Boston Rob and Johnny Fairplay and Richard Hatch. And if I can name people who were on Survivor 15, yeah, that Richard Hatch, that Richard Hatch season there was like, fuck, what, 1999 or something like that? Like, Jesus Christ, we're talking 10, 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And him. I mean, you know, you can become a, a, a Z list celebrity off of that show. So if, if he did well on the show and, and, you know, he gets, you know, whatever level of media buzz that brings and they're constantly attaching impact wrestling when they introduce you know, impact wrestling's John Hennigan, who made it to the final four of survivor or one survivor. And then if he's a, if he's good on the show, then there's the possibility he can do the all-star shows that they do. And, uh, you know, survivor, good guys versus bad guys. Cause there's a very strong face heel dynamic on that show all the time. And, and, you know, and Johnny Fairplay is a perfect example of a guy who was so good on that show and, and for being evil and being a manipulator and all that, that he parlayed it into, you know, uh, pro wrestling paydays. And I don't think that guy's worked a day in his life since Survivor. You know, he's just been hustling and, and grifting and and off of the Johnny Fairplay gimmick. So from that perspective, you know, if, if he goes far in the show and is on the show for a while and becomes a, you know, quote, Survivor celebrity, that's very good for impact. I mean, you know, people might 
Survivor fans might turn on Pop TV to see this this character from their show who they became fans of. You know, if if he's a good competitor. Now, if he's a shit player and he's voted off the second week and he's one of these guys that none of the Survivor super fans will ever think of again, you get nothing from it. You know, it's just you get no rub whatsoever. But we I have no idea how well he does on the show. Uh, you know, they had Kenny King. Uh, I guess he was ROH at this point. Was he ROH by that point when he was on The Bachelor? Uh, yes, yeah, he was an ROH at the time. But I had a bunch of buddies. I had texts all the time of like, hey, did you know this wrestler guy is in The Bachelor? Like, you know, was my mom always brought it up. Like, a bunch of people brought it up a lot. So, yeah, it was a And he didn't deal. even do I don't know how much. No, no, he, he did terrible. Do so, it's like he didn't even become like a Bachelor, you know, like, you know, there's, you know, there, there, there's people from all of these shows. Like, you, you look at uh, The Apprentice and Bill Rancic and people like that. I mean, you become a celebrity off of these shows and, and, and you build a, you know, a Z-list celebrity. You're famous for being famous at that point. You know, and 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 so it, it's worth a play to put the title on him. Now, I don't know if Austin Aries, circling back to him, was annoyed because he was asked to delete his tweets. And now, look, that Austin Aries and Johnny Impact and Ty of Valkyrie were working. People may disagree with me. That's what I think. I think all of that was them working and building the match. And honestly, Rich, it all all worked. That match had far more attention on it for that attention that they brought to it with their, you know, their Twitter beefs and whatnot. And all. But I, I believe that was all by design. Now, now, now look, you could argue whether that attention was negative or positive or, or helped or didn't help, but I do believe it was all a work. I, I, you know, so that's just my personal belief. Uh, maybe that'll come out at some point that it wasn't, but, but that is what it is now. Yeah, I, I don't think know. So too. And the reason I think so too, is they lean so heavily into it. And, and if yes. it wasn't, why would you do that? Why would you have, Johnny Impact just so happened to be on TMZ and just so happened, like, they leaned so far into every single thing that they did of it that it felt calculated. It felt super, super calculated. Like, there's no it way that they could adjust on the fly as quickly as they did and say, all right, guys, like, look, he said it, but now we're going to go, and then we're going to do this, and we're going to, like, th- there's no way. I mean, we, we know the chaos that exists behind, you know, the scenes of, of any wrestling company. The idea that they could just, like, on the fly figure out and kind of make this positive is, is is definitely not like you know when stuff doesn't go right and it's kind of a disaster this felt very calculated very planned out in in some ways and that's i don't know about the finish i'm talking about we're talking about just the build towards the match and yo, yo, i mean of, i mean the tweets and right exactly. the tweets the tmz interviews the, obviously the press conference be fights like that that's all i mean obviously that's all set up yeah and, and it's like you know I, but the problem is austin aries we know he's a fucking you know prick and the fact that he started getting into Twitter beefs off of those tweets with like random Twitter wokes, you know, that I don't understand why he can't control himself. You know, it's, it's just drop the tweet and log off. Log off. Yeah. That's, I Does put it in the newsletter. I put it in the newsletter. I was like, log off here, Austin. Just go, just log off, go walk a dog to go work out. Just log off, buddy. <laughs> like, it does, who cares if. Some dude from fucking Iowa with 130 followers is calling you out for saying Taya Valkyrie is husky. Just drop the tweet and log off. You did your job. Okay, Don't getting into Twitter beefs with the wokes is where Austin Aries gets himself in trouble all the time. And was he annoyed because maybe TNA asked him to delete the tweet? I don't know. That's one theory going around. I could totally see Austin Aries. Oh, he's a man of like... Very stubborn. 
I mentioned Very, a little bit, I mentioned conviction earlier. He's a man of like way too much conviction where it's like, hey, Austin, yes. delete that tweet. And he'd be like, oh, this is, I'm out of here. And it's like, dude, just chill out, man. Just like, it's one thing, let it go. You know, yeah, but he is, he, he holds grudges. He definitely lets things bother him way more than they should ever bother him. So he's yeah. A, he's a very self-righteous individual. So I can totally see impact going to him saying, okay, this is going too far now and it's starting to become a massive negative. Just delete the tweet. And let's cut bait and him listening to his bosses, but being disgruntled about it. Yeah, I'll delete the fucking tweet, but wait till they see what I do on Sunday. I can totally see Austin Aries behaving in that manner. Um, it, there's just something as far as it potentially being a work shoot. I have faith that the people in that room are too smart for that. I really do. I don't think Don Callis and Sanjay Dutt, and Scott Demore and Jimmy Jacobs. Uh, I'm not going to say Tommy Dreamer. <laughs> or, <laughs> I just think that Tommy Dreamer, like he's got a. And I'm not taking a shot at Tommy Dreamer's intelligence. I'm taking a shot at Tommy Dreamer being like an all-time bad booker. He just has a reputation for being an awful wrestling mind in that regard. He's just look. The guy loves wrestling and all that, but his OVW booking run was a disaster. Um, he just he just has a reputation for being bad at that aspect of things. But those other guys in the room. I feel like they're too smart to do something like that in, in the, I, I hate this for, but in 2018, I, I just, I feel like they wouldn't do that. My gut is telling me it's not a work shoot. My well, gut is look, telling look. me Austin Aries is an asshole and was mad about <laughs> we know that. We know that. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I have a feeling that's why he reacted the way he did. He just didn't like the way he's probably like, Hey man, you wanted us to draw heat on Twitter. I drew heat on Twitter and then he got mad at me. But he doesn't understand the line between drawing heat with a, a, a tweet that's going to rile people up and then getting in stupid right, dust-ups. You're world champion arguing with 58 followed people, you know, yeah, like 58 follower, you know, egg accounts or whatever. Just don't like, do what it. Yeah, like, stop. It's like we talk about Dave Meltzer all the time. Like, why are you replying to these guys? Like, Dave, you're a fucking idiot. You have no sources. And Dave's like, actually, I do have, listen, actually, I have many sources. Frank DeFord thought I had four sources. And it's like, Dave, just log off, man. Like, oh, let the guy go. And it's like we've been guilty of it too, and we're nobodies. Oh, yeah. He's yeah. the world champion of uh, you know uh, of this promotion. Building, he needs to. And, and if I, I was totally boss, I would tell him, dude, what are you doing? Like you're a world champion, you're supposed to have a little bit more class about this. Like, wh- why are you doing this? Like, just don't, just don't do it. Like that. It'd be as simple as that. But like you said, Austin Aries is such an asshole that the boss being like, dude, you know, like there's lines. Like, yes, we wanted you to put this over. Yes, the tweet is fine. But now you're arguing and spending all this time with it. Like, don't bring any more unwanted negative attention to it. Just. Log off. You did what you needed to do. You're the pro wrestling yeah. heel. Just move on. But like, no, he's like getting into legit arguments with people. And that's the problem with him too is, is Austin Aries, if you follow him online and, and, and if you follow him ever. And this goes back. And the thing with this too is this dates back like years and years and years. Even when his, he was in ROH, yes. he would like fuck around on blogs and stuff and comment. And like, it's like, dude, just like, what are you doing? Just chill out. Like, but he was always, he would always blur that line where like one point he's doing like for what it's worth, the Husky tweet or whatever. And I know it, it got a lot of people upset. That was Austin Aries, the character. You know what I mean? Austin Aries, the pro wrestling character, was saying that to gain heat on, on the match. If you can agree or disagree if that was the right way to go about it or whatever, that's fine. But the problem is the arguments, the subsequent arguments afterwards are not Austin Aries, the wrestling character. That's Austin Aries, the human being, getting upset that these people are upset about it. You know what I mean? And that's where, that's where the line gets drawn. It's like, no, now it's you arguing with these doofuses on Twitter. Stop. Like, be your wrestling character and log the fuck off. Austin Aries, Johnny Impact, and Taya Valkyrie used his height and her weight and his look to build heat for a match. 
like you said, putting aside whether you think that's the right way to build, that's what that was. Austin Healy or whatever his name is was mad online and started getting in dust ups with fucking randos. You are dead on. That is exactly what went down and what occurred. And, um, you know, at this point to me, my gut is telling me that's why he flipped off his boss and walked out of the arena. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. an Austin Aries move. I mean, you talk to, you know, you look at the details of his split with WWE. You listen to any Jim Cornette discussion about – you listen to Jim Cornette talk about Austin Aries who worked with him in, in Ring of Honor. And Jim Cornette will tell you that he's one of the most talented people in the ring, on the mic, that he ever worked with. But he's also one of the biggest assholes that he ever worked with. And he, he was an impossible man to work with. Always griping, always complaining in the locker room, always bringing down morale, uh, always complaining about the office, always fighting with the office, always just wanting things his way. Yeah, well, there's a reason he hasn't found one real home. Like when you think of Austin Aries, what's the promotion that you think of right off the top of your head? Like I don't know that I do think of one. I think of a few. So that's probably the issue. Yeah, and and I mean, you know, it's uh, he had issues with Mike Quackenbush. He had issues with uh, Jim Cornette. He had issues with Triple H. He obviously has issues now with Don Callis. I mean, you know, he's 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 like Loki. He's like Loki. He's he burns bridges everywhere he goes. But you know what he's you know what he is rich. What him and Loki are, they're just so supremely talented that they're constantly going to keep getting chances. We we'll keep rebuilding those bridges, hoping that they don't burn them again. Like just okay, fine, we'll rebuild the bridge. Come on back, all right? Because he's because so they're so good. talented, yeah, right? And, and, and they're like they're like these incredible athletes who always tear apart a locker room or shit on management or do stupid things off the field. But because they're such incredible athletes, they get a million chances. That's what these two guys are. They're just so talented that until these guys are old and can't do it anymore. And and you know, the other sad part is Austin Aries is such a good talker and Loki's becoming a great promo. Believe it or not. If you've been following MLW, you know, he's cutting these creepy ass fucking low key promo. They might get work until they fucking die because they could both talk too. You know, and, 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 um, you know, but to me, that's my read on this. And hopefully, uh, you know, we'll find out at some point what really happened. But as of right now, everybody's tight lipped or they really just don't know the guy just fucking left. And now just, just on one last thing before we get kind of get into the, uh, the actual bomb for glory, if it were to be a work. And like you said, the, the, the thing is though, that I, and I, I'm the same way with you. I trust that the people back there, the people running the show here understand that the payoff of this being a work is very low, very, very low. Like it's, it's really would be beyond silly. If, if this company of all companies did this, as you said, in 2018, and, and the biggest reason is, is because like you said, it's, it, it's impact. It's TNA. It, it goes exactly to the discussion we had last week about, how why I thought TNA was so toxic and the, the words TNA and the word impact wrestling was so toxic because even if they everything is great and everything is good, something stupid will happen and then they'll just lose everything all in a second. And if this ends up being just some big giant work, that's the exact thing you're gonna get. Again, is that sort of it, it just brings unwanted negative attention to it. That's all the, the, the this everything stemming from the show. We're leading the show off, not talking about Bon for Glory, not talking about the other matches, not talking about Johnny Impact winning the title or whatnot. We're talking about Austin Aries flipping him off Don Callis. Like that is is it's it's attention but it's not good attention it's not making people watch your tv it's not making people want to pay for your stuff so that i, I think that they're smart enough i feel like callus is and i feel like a lot of the other guys there are, are, are smart enough to know that that's not a positive to do and it's also the issue too is because we know that austin Aries, we know the background of austin Aries. so it doesn't surprise me that he would flick off down callus and walk out and just leave you know what i mean like so that's where i'm kind of with it i don't know i have no idea we don't know nobody seems to know right now 
my heart of hearts tells me it's not a work because these people are too smart and they know that this would only bring negative attention to a company that does not need negative attention. Only positive attention is what they need. Giving Johnny Impact the title to walk around in Survivor makes all the sense in the world. Saying, you know, Impact Wrestling's Johnny Impact who's or Johnny Hennigan or whatever who's on Survivor, all that's positive attention. That's the attention you want to get. This is not the good attention. The stuff that we're talking about right now, this is not good at all. I don't get the sense it's a it's a work because no one's attempted to draw off of it yet. Austin Aries isn't talking about it. He's not on Twitter cutting promos on management or Don Callis or he's not shooting on Twitter. You don't see the impact social media accounts tweeting anything about it. Now I'll have to see how the tapings play out, but I get the sense and from people I've talked to, they don't really pay any attention to Austin Aries at the tapings other than mentioning him in passing that he was the person who lost the title. So if it's a work, what's the point if you're not talking about it? Right. So that leads me to believe that Austin Aries just fucking soiled his diaper again and fucking quit. So I guess we'll see. Yeah, I think go back to Ring of Honor. <laughs> well, he still he hasn't really technically left Ring of Honor, right? So I guess that's I don't know. It's hard to, hard to keep he's track. In of and, he's in and out. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's hard to keep track of his career moves. But uh, yeah, it's <laughs> he'll pop up somewhere though because he's he's very talented. Yeah, he is, he is super super talented in sports, in entertainment, in wrestling. When you're super talented. People will keep giving you chance after chance after chance. Yeah, but you know that. You know that's how it goes. And and one thing I've seen brought up, and and this is an interesting question too. And, and, and this will be our last kind of discussion about this. Is is you know if it was a shoot and Austin Aries truly was upset that he wouldn't have gone out there and worked a match and he wouldn't have done everything that he did. But he's such a he's he, at the end of the day he's still a professional. He's just a professional that's just a pain in the ass. You know what I mean? Like he yeah. is not going to go out there and sandbag a match and, and and fuck it up and do all that sort of stuff. But he's going to bitch and moan the entire time about it. He's going to bitch and moan before the match. He's going to bitch and moan after the match. But when that bell rings and when the, the time comes to give people what they paid for, he does it. And that's always the thing about Austin Aries. And that's why, like you said, why he almost probably always gets these other these second, third, and fourth chances or whatever is because at the end of the day he is a professional he's just a giant pain in the ass well why would he do that to a uh, hennigan he probably has exactly. no beef with him. right yeah he's got no he has the, the fans did nothing to him impacted nothing to him hennigan did nothing to him callous and, and the management that's who did something to him so he's gonna go out there and bust his ass and do whatever he can to make impact look like a million bucks to give the fans what they wanted and then the second that bell rings and his job quote-unquote is over that's when he goes ah fuck off i'm out of here bye you know what i mean like hey, he listen is- i i thought the bill listen i aside from aries you know melting down in in the in the, in the aftermath i thought the the build for the match ended up being very effective and i thought they had a good match and i thought yeah, all of that. Oh, stuff. The, match. the match was great. The match was. I mean, that's that might be one of the best matches I've seen of of Johnny whatever ever. I mean, it's he's a guy that's very uneven. I've seen him live sometimes, and it's an absolute, absolute disaster. And I've seen him do some stuff here and there, but I've never really fully got it with him. Whereas this one, I really liked his performance here. I thought he was really good. Uh, listen, before the you're a fucking midget and your wife is husky promo Twitter promos, this match had no buzz. And, you know, and then they had the, the, the you know, the, the, the fight at the press conference. And then all of a sudden this match had some buzz and then the match was pretty good. So I guess in breaking down the show, we can start there. I mean, you know, the main event was a, was a good main event until the shenanigans at the end. Um, you could argue it was the best match on the show. It wasn't my, it was my, I would put it second or third, but if you told me you thought it was the best match on the show, I'm not going to argue with you as uh, Johnny impact wins the title. And I know Johnny impacts a guy that you're not exactly super high on. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. But yeah, no, I thought he was really good here. And it wasn't just an Austin Aries carry job. I thought he did he played well. And 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 like you said, one of the problems that I think that run that happens is a lot of times with Johnny whatever matches, 
the fans aren't as invested in them. They're they're just kind of they're invested in him doing some silly thing every so often and, and doing a flip or whatever, and then they kind of cheer that. But very rarely are they like living and dying by his moves. But this one, you know, to a credit to these guys, the Johnny Impact chants were going on the entire time, and the people were into every single thing that he did, which is so rare for him. He doesn't generate that sort of buzz from people. He doesn't generate that sort of because he's not a very good talker because he doesn't really come across as relatable a lot of times. This whole thing, whatever happened here, made him relatable. Him going on TMZ and him getting attacked by Austin Aries and him defending his wife's honor and all that sort of stuff really in a lot of ways made him feel relatable. And you can tell that the crowd felt that way too. They were chanting for him, rooting for him, and they wanted him to win. And that very rarely happens with Johnny Impact. And not that he's, whether he's a healer or babyface, very often people, like I said, just kind of cheer for him doing funny flips and all that sort of stuff, but don't really care if he wins or loses. This was fun to see people actually invested in what he did. Yeah, for sure. So um, so Johnny Impact is the champion moving forward. We'll see how it all plays out at the tapings. But then uh, I guess let's work backwards. We had the, finally, Rich, the ceasefire is over. And we had the Latin American exchange defeating the OGs in a concrete jungle death match, which turned out to be no mat on the ring, no turnbuckle pads, uh, very dangerous looking setup with guys uh, working very unsteady on two by four planks. Yeah. Those things were moving every time. The ref couldn't even make a count because the things were like moving under him. It was very, very strange. Yeah. Conan busted out the sock with the eight ball that I talked about last week. (laughs) (laughs) You finally see it. I did. Yeah. They did an angle earlier in the show where Conan was attacked in the back, which I thought was smart because Conan can barely move at this point. Yeah, I was wondering how they were going to get out of that, of like, how are you actually going to have Conan in that match? And I think they figured out the best way possible is just not have him in the match. It's a good strategy. So, Yeah, so LAX wins the bout. You got to see the sock with the eight ball. And uh, some obscure rap group wrapped LAX to the ring. Are you familiar with this? <laughs> I do nothing about the Bodega bill or whatever his fucking name was it wasn't i don't think it was bodega right. bill but i forget what the name <laughs> i hope he changes it to bodega bill though because that's <laughs> that'd be a hell of a name you know <laughs> what was it? It, was uh, bodega. it wasn't bodega boys what the fuck <laughs> i don't know bodega ben's bodega it was bodega something yeah it was something yeah you know what bodega bill is though bodega bill is the guy in the neighborhood who hangs out down by the bodega who just knows everybody's business and you're like hey man What's going on with Terry? And, and and they'll say, I don't know, but Bodega Bill knows. Let's go talk to <laughs> Bodega Bill, you know? And then you go down to the corner store, and there's Bill. He's always there, right? He's, like, smoking a cigarette and, and just, you know, he, he knows everybody. You know, he's, 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 he's uh, shaking everybody's hand. Bodega Bill knows what's going on with Terry. So you got to go down there and talk to Bodega Bill. But uh, this was not Bodega Bill. This was Bodega Bams. Bodega Bams was his Bodega name. Bodega Bams. So, yeah. All right. Fair enough. I still you know, know nothing him, about that. I, know, I know nothing about Bodega Bams. So, yeah. Uh, you are a rap aficionado. Well, I not? yeah, i kind of fallen off in recent years, and I don't. I don't know You're not a fan of the modern, uh, nah, rap. not at all. Yeah, I don't, and I don't know. I, yeah, I, I've never actually heard of this man before uh, today. So yeah, I've, I've well, kind of like, I've, it's it's a young man's game, and I'm I'm an old man, so it's fine. Can you assess their performance? Um, it, loud. <laughs> there was a lot. Yeah, I don't know. It wasn't very good. I don't think I've heard that they're not bad, but uh, are they the guys that did the intro? Who did the intro for Bound for Glory? Because those guys were pretty cool. I don't know. The guys rapping the intro. I don't know if you saw that. That was pretty good. I don't know if that was Bodega Bams as well, because that was actually pretty good. Uh, This was just like guys screaming while LAX waved Puerto Rican flags. So I don't know. uh, I don't know. It was loud and 
There were a lot of people in Bodega Bams. I yeah, felt like it's only one guy though. That's the thing. I don't know who the other forty-five guys were, but I I get to like the video Wu-Tang and I'm just like, who the fuck are these guys? Yeah, he's got like yeah, there's just a thousand people. Known. Yeah, there's only one guy. It's really be one dude. I think Bodega so, Bams is just one guy, but so Rich, this did not slap. No, I don't think it slapped at all. Unfortunately, no, you but, won't. Uh, you wouldn't say that this slaps. No. <laughs> Uh, did it bang, Rich? Did this it song banged. Bang? It bodega banged, but uh, did not slap. It banged briefly, okay. but did not ever reach slap uh, potential, though. Okay. Slap is higher than bang. I don't know if that's true or not. <laughs> don't. Uh, You're don't the source here. That. Come on. I'm not, though. I'm, oh, I said it's a, it's a young man's game, and I'm, I'm far The source magazine still exists. Uh, I don't think Any so. magazine still exists. Yeah, Does any. Say. Does anything printed on paper still exist? Um, <laughs> did you know Sports Illustrated went bi-weekly? Did you know that? I did not know that, no. That's nuts. When's the uh, last time you read a hard copy of Sports Illustrated? Uh, probably the last time I was in a doctor's office and it was like a six-month-old one. So you're like, well, I guess I'll find out how the Bills playoff hopes look like. You know what I mean? It's like one of those ones that you're just like, you're like, oh god, like the TV's on some terrible talk show that you don't really want to watch. And you know you're gonna sit in that waiting room for way longer than you yeah. need to. So you kind of peruse yeah. and it's like car magazine. I don't give a shit about cars. Like, who fucking cares? And then it's just it's, like women's health and then mm-hmm. sports illustrated from like November of you know, 2017. You're like, all right, whatever, let's find out. Like, let's, let's see you're what right. Tyron it's Taylor's always doing. Yeah. It's the NBA season preview, and we're in the we're in the second round of the playoffs when you're picking right. it up. You know that's it's always what it is. Yeah. But uh, when's the last time you picked up a hard copy of the Source? Did you ever read the Source uh, magazine? You know, because- I, yeah, I used to read the Source. I still like the Source back in the day. It's probably been oh my god, was it 2018? It's probably been about 20 years since I picked up a Source. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if they're still actually printing uh, actual magazines anymore, but. What about Dime Magazine? Were you ever a reader of oh, Dime? Oh, yeah. Magazine? Yeah, I like Dime Magazine. Slam and Dime were always great magazines. Slam and Dime. Were they Slam's, compa- still Slam's still hanging around, buddy. Dime is Slam too. Is I saw Dime the other day as well. So let me ask you a question. Were Slam and Dime competitors or were they under one banner like the Aptermags? I th- okay. See, I thought they were under one, but I could be wrong. I always thought they were under the same but I don't know if that's actually true now that I think about it. They always kind of look the same. They had the similar vibe. But actually, I do think they're different. I don't think they're the same. I feel like they have the same font, though. But they're not. I, I, I'm looking at it now. They're not the same. So that's pretty interesting. Yeah. I was so more of a Slam Magazine guy myself. but Slam was better than Dime. Well, Slam was more popular than Dime. Yeah, yeah. Dime was more about the shoes. It was a little bit more about the shoe culture. And, and Slam was uh, around for a long time. Like People think Slam just kind of came out. And, I mean, that shit, like, that was in, like, 1993, 94 that Slam came out. It, oh, it oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. My friends are big readers of uh, Slam. There would always be a copy of Slam laying around that you could pick up at somebody's house and just flip good through. Good friends. Those are good friends, yeah. Yeah, you know, because, you know, you know you're, you're meeting up with your buddies to go down to the park, you know, to play a pickup game. And you're waiting around because, you know, like Phil is always late, you know, or, or Jimmy, you know, where is he? You know, yeah. But so you pick up a, the Slam magazine and you flip through it and, and, and Slam would always have these covers where they'd be like the next generation. And then like yeah, four years like later, Xavier Henry, <laughs> right. Like. Yeah. Go up. Xavier Henry didn't quite make it, you know, that's kind of <laughs> they went out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at the list right now. They, uh, they went all out here with some of those, uh, it's more for the NBA intelligentsia here, but the first one was Stefan Marbury. I'd say that worked. Uh, the next one was Ronnie Fields. Uh, that did not work out very well. Did not work out. Uh, well. someone named Edmund Sanders who won an NCAA title with UConn, I guess. Uh, Ray Young, who was <laughs> only played in the CBA. Mike Dunleavy, right. they had a bad run here for a while. Maybe, Andre maybe, Barrett. Maybe, 
Andre Barrett, maybe Slam should have lost to Dime. This is awful. <laughs> yeah. Eddie Curry, who I guess, I mean, I no, guess it's sort of come on, That's a real stretch. And then LeBron James, where they got a slam dunk in 2002. You couldn't fuck that well, one. Well, come on. Anyone could. That was, you know, that was a layup, Rich. Get it? Yeah. I mean, that one was easy. You couldn't, you couldn't blow that one. And you know, everyone famous- was on him in the ninth grade. Yeah, the most famous one probably Sebastian Telfair in 2003. That was like, oh, this yeah. guy for sure is going to make it. Like, yeah. And then something named Eric Devendorf was in 2005. Who the fuck yeah, is he Eric Devendorf? He, he sounds he like the Sy- whitest person in the world. Yeah, he he's got to be a white guy, right? Okay. Yeah, Why? and he went, to, he went to Syracuse. He was a uh, spot-up shooter for Syracuse. And um, yeah, you, you you knew in college he was going nowhere in the pros. It was one <laughs> of those guys. You know what I mean? Where they're like a good college player because yeah. – but but there's no they can't guard anybody. It was like uh very similar. He was like a poor man's Jimmer for debt. Does that make okay. sense? To you? Yeah, that's not good. That's you don't want to be yeah. a poor man's Jimmer for debt. Like Jimmer's gonna drop forty eight on San Diego State, okay, and he's gonna get you to the Sweet Sixteen maybe, right? But you knew Jimmer for debt at best was gonna be you know the twelfth guy on the Kings and no better. But didn't they try Jimmer Fredette? Like, yeah, they oh gave yeah. it an honest like, go with Jimmer Fredette. Yeah, six different teams tried, and it's still just not. Yeah. And he, the he, uh, they played, he, went, he went to China, and he's like a superstar in China. And then he played uh, the Rockets this year in the preseason and scored like 41 points. And everybody was like, oh, my God. He did it on like 50 shots. Like, you know, I was just going to say. If it, he's like 21 of 50. And it's like, well, yeah, but. That's Jimmer. Like someone signed Jimmer, and it's like, no, you don't want your guy to miss thirty shots in a game. Like it's not. Yeah, they were really yeah. Xavier Henry, Quincy Miller, Shabazz Muhammad, the Harrison brothers, uh, Tyus Jones, Malik Newman. Ugh. Yeah, Thaddeus Young. He was fine. Do you remember? <laughs> do you remember Jimmer Fredette's older brother who no. tried to parlay Fredette's fame into a rap career? God, I don't. It it's awful. true. I'm not even making it up. Yeah. Oh God. And be intelligentia, fortsrutson.com slash Patreon. Absolutely. All right, what the hell were we talking about? Oh, Bodega, yeah, the, the uh, Concrete Jungle match. Bodega Bob, Bodega Bill, what was it? I forget which one it was. Yeah, the Concrete yeah, Jungle match. So, yeah. Um, look, I thought it was okay. Th- their match at Slammiversary was oh way better. Oh, my God, it blew the, that one blew it away. This one was... Yeah. So it's fine. It's too hard but... to work on these planks. And... No, it's it's. I it, while I was watching it, I was thinking to myself, this reminds me of any scaffold match you've ever seen, where it's like a great idea in principle, but then you realize, oh wait, these guys have to work on it, and then the the yeah. the the environment in which they're working ends up being such a big deal, and ends up being such a thing that drags everything down. And so I felt here, they just never ever felt like they were comfortable. The footing never felt right. Guys didn't feel like they could. And these guys are all about moves and speed and and. You know, like we saw in that Slammiversary was just guys doing nuts things like diving and all that. And they felt very apprehensive to do any of that on this match. And that kind of hurt a lot. It was all about, oh, my God, are they going to fall into the planks? And then once they did eventually like power around somebody in the planks, it was like, oh, that's not really that big of a deal. And then that's it. And so it meant it ended up being like a match that was hard to work. And then the payoff was like not all that good. So it was exactly like a scaffold match in some ways. Yeah, I don't know. I just didn't dig all that much about it. And I was really into the feud too, so uh, that wasn't it. But uh, OVE defeating Brian Cage, Phoenix, and Pentagon Jr. To me, this was the match of the night. This was just a wild, nonsensical spot fest, and it's everything I wanted out of these six guys. And uh, I was surprised that they pinned Brian Cage, being that he's the X Division champion and all that. I was surprised he's the guy who took the loss, but they made him made sure he looked real strong. I mean, they had to fucking kill him to finally put him down at the end of the match. 
with all the super kicks and all that before he finally stayed down. I think they even did a one count kick out uh, to hammer that home. So it's not like he looked bad here, but I was still surprised to some extent that he's the one who ate the fall. Yeah, that's um, but I guess I mean with Phoenix and Pentagon, those are guys that are still pretty protected all across the world or whatnot. So yeah, it, it, you're in a tough spot with that team. Like, there's not really a right answer for who you would have. I mean, I wouldn't pin the champion, but I understand that Phoenix and Pentagon might have you know some other reasons why. And Brian Cage is a guy who I don't think really cares all that much. So you know, like Phoenix and Pentagon might not want to get pinned. You know, they might want to maintain something. Whereas I don't think Brian Cage really cares all that much. All right, so we had uh, the Eddie Edwards Moose segment which was a short disqualification, which turned into a tag. So the match really was Eddie Edwards and Tommy Dreamer, who uh, we joked would not pop up on this show, and he certainly popped up on this show, uh, defeating Moose and Killer Cross in a no-DQ match, which I thought was pretty damn good. Yeah, I um, thought it was really good. I, I, I watched this kind of unspoiled, and, and when they did the... Uh, so Eddie Edwards and Moose was supposed to be the original match, and, and uh, at one point... Uh, Killer Cross came out and they just attacked Eddie Edwards and then they threw the match out. And I thought that was it. And I was like, oh, damn, that kind of, damn, I was kind of looking forward to that match. And then Tommy Dreamer came out and I was like, oh, I'm really not looking forward to this. And it ended up being pretty awesome. Like, Dreamer was pretty good in it and, and Edwards was good and Moose is getting better. Uh, and Killer Cross is, is, is solid too. So I, I enjoyed this way more than I had any anticipation of doing. Yeah. And I mean, I saw a lot of people griping that it was, oh, this is bait and switch and blah, blah, blah. I mean, come on. Was Eddie Edwards and Moose? Were you really looking forward to that? I didn't think it was yeah, a big deal. <laughs> it's like and, and look, I get it. Tommy Dreamer coming out again, but I thought he was fine here. And I thought the match was actually pretty damn good. And I thought it was one of the better matches on the show from that. So from that perspective, I didn't mind at all. We had Tessa Blanchard defeating Taya Valkyrie. A lot of people were annoyed at the build here. Taya Valkyrie was a heel. Then she comes back into the company as a baby face. I didn't really care because. What's the difference? She's been gone. It's not like they just turned her with no explanation. She was gone. She was out of the company. So they brought her back as a face. What's the big deal? I really didn't understand the griping there. As far as the match goes, it was okay. I mean, I didn't hate this. Uh, nothing stood out about it. Tessa Blanchard retains the title uh, as expected. And uh, what'd you think of this one? Yes, yeah, I saw a lot of people really putting this match over as like match of the night. And really, I, I thought it was good, but not at that level. I thought it was solid, well worked. I thought Tessa was pretty good in here. Taya, you know, I, I mentioned on the show last week that she's someone that doesn't really impress me all that much. I'm usually pretty down on her, but I thought she was pretty solid here as well. I uh, had obviously the backing of the crowd. Uh, but yeah, I thought this was this was fine, maybe even good, but definitely not great. Like I saw a lot of people putting over and, and, and talking about it. it was definitely not at that level for me, but 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 solid match again and, and another good performance from uh, Tessa. I mean, I didn't think anything on the show was bad. This was a pretty good show. Very solid show. Very top to bottom show. Yeah, I'm looking at the card right now. And yeah, the, the worst match is the one we're going to talk about here in a bit. And even that was, you know, two minutes. So how do you complain that much? And look, it was a rock and a hard. We just talked about Saudi Arabia. Here's a very different rock and a hard place. I mean, you know, it's supposed to be Joey Janela. So, you know, you have Joey Janela drop out. That would have blown the roof off the place. Uh, they're in a tough spot. And it's really nothing else they could have done in, in terms of Eli Drake's opponent, um, you know, on such short notice and all that. You know, I, I don't think – I have no use for James Ellsworth. I've been very outspoken about that. Under the circumstances, though, I didn't think that was, you know, all that horrible. No, I mean, they had no, to do what they had to no, do. He was the perfect guy for this because no matter who came through that curtain, because everybody wanted it to be Chris Jericho, it was which, not which, be Chris okay. Jericho. Can I say something about that? Yeah, go ahead. What the fuck is wrong with people? Why would you book Chris <laughs> Jericho? No, no, seriously. No, I know, I know, I know. Okay, go ahead. Why would you book Chris Jericho as a mystery opponent and not tell people he's going to be on the show and use it to draw money? I mean, have people are people brain dead well, now? Yeah, but they, 
you know, here's the thing though. It is impact and they've made really, really dumb decisions before. WCW used to do that all the time, all the time. Weekly, WCW would do that. Rich, there is no shot, no chance on earth that Don Callis is. No, I know. I'm with you. I'm just saying that that's people think, oh, they're stupid and that's what they would do, you know, or people, people are big on the surprises too, but that's not really how you should book wrestling is surprises that aren't average. Well, Rich, I got news for you. People are fucking stupid. Okay. You don't book Chris Jericho (laughs) on this show and then not tell people he's going to be on the show. Why did people ever think that Chris, there is no reason. Right. If Impact they, fucking wrestling of all people booked Chris Jericho, they would tell you every second of the day that Chris Jericho is showing up on their show. Like yeah. And if they second. don't, then they, they deserve to be shut down immediately. I mean, it, it would have been one of the all time stupid things in pro wrestling history for Impact to use Chris Jericho as a surprise and, and give Eli Drake a fucking uh, lung blower or whatever. What's, what does he even use the <laughs> lung blower? What are you talking about? The code breaker. Carlito you over here. The code, code breaker. breaker. Jesus to give, Christ. To give Carlito a code breaker. Come on. Carlito. You're not that Eli bad. Drake a co- <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Apparently I am to give Eli Drake a code breaker and beat him in a minute 20 and then not use it to draw any money. Oh, and by the way, and pay his fee. Okay. What are you thinking? This is so stupid. Here's the thing is people now I'm sure someone is already tweeting at us. Well, they did it for all in and they do it for new Japan. Yeah. Those are companies with upward trajectory that can fuck around with Chris Jericho surprise appearances. Impact is not that company. Impact is not new Japan, nor is it all in impact needs to advertise that to make money. Hold on a second. But New Japan used Chris Jericho coming out to attack evil to build the main event for their very next show. Okay, you're not going to bring in Chris Jericho. Your impact, you have 140,000 viewers a week, and and no one's going to – how do you not announce him before the show if it's going to be Chris Jericho and get people to buy your pay-per-view? It doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense whatsoever. So again – no, no, sorry, I was just going to say, so everybody thought it was Jericho. You even heard me, Elijah Jericho's cutting his promo Y2J chance or whatever, which is, is ridiculous. So they were going to surprise people with Janela, which I think would have been, because basically anybody else in the world would have probably gotten a boo unless it was some like ridiculous person that we couldn't even think of. The Rock, like you said last week, if The Rock came out, no, they'd probably cheer for that. But anybody like sub-Jericho level, they probably would have booed and said, ah, damn it. Janela would have been fine. Janela would have gotten over. That would have been worth it. But pretty much anybody else in the world that walked through that curtain was going to get booed and they were going to hate and they were going to think there was pieces of shit. So actually, James Elwood is perfect for that because the guy wasn't going to get over anyway. The guy was going to be hated and it was just a vehicle for Eli Drake to beat him in two minutes. So honestly, while I was watching it, I was like, oh, God, I really don't want to see James Ellsworth. But I'm thinking, you know, anybody could have been in this position. It's probably good that it was just James Ellsworth. It's just a worthless guy to get beaten in two minutes or whatever, because anybody else that walked through the curtain would have been booed and showered with hate. And, you know, who better than a boo and shower with hate than, than James Ellsworth? So I was actually okay with it. As the segment went on, I said, you know, he's actually the, the perfect guy to come out for this this situation. And then he did the whole thing with Abyss anyway. Yeah, and then Abyss just beat up Eli Drake anyway. So, yeah, it, it didn't matter. And then we have Rich Swan and Willie Mack. Oh, my God, Joe, we for, we, we're idiots. We, we forgot something in between the Johnny Impact Latin American Exchange match. I didn't forget it. Are you going to talk about it at the end? I I don't want to talk about it. It's utter trash. You don't have to suit young. <laughs> I did. Yes. Yeah. I. What the fuck was that? What the fuck? Oh. Now I heard it got good reactions live. Oh fuck! All right. Cool. Whatever. <laughs> but it's just utter shit. It's just utter shit. The thing is, I just spent all day ranting about Nikki Cross and Alistair Black on NXT, and it's like, Rich, I don't even have it in me. I I just I. If, if this Sue Young fucking killing people with axes and whatever the fuck this was, 
If this entertains you, I'd love to know why or how. It's just so bad. I don't see any entertainment value in it. Um, I don't get it. I mean, the crowd reacted well live, I'm told, but they seem to be a, a fun crowd all night. Maybe they were just there to have a good time. I understand that, but whatever that was, it's not for Joe Lanza and it never will be. I It's just fucking horrendous. Yeah, I don't get why you would, and and I think that you bring up a good point. Yeah, if there's somebody listening to this and you you enjoyed that segment, just let us know. I mean, we, we, we'll 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 talk shit about you, but we were actually I'm really just kind of genuinely curious as well because I just want to know why you would want to watch like CD level horror in your pro. It's just to me, it's it's so foreign to me. As I'm sitting there watching this, I'm looking at this, and and what was strange about it is like the production values were not that bad. Like the production values, I saw people laughing about that. They weren't that bad, which makes it even more perplexing that this company that we know does not flush with cash was spending fucking money on this shit. Like I hope that somebody gave this to them for free because they spent a dime on this and any of this, it is a monumental, insane waste of money. And I know it costs money. I saw the production value of that. I'm somebody who has done video production. I know that this was not a $5 operation. You would know if it was a $5 operation. It was not. It wasn't a million-dollar thing, but it was definitely well-produced in, in a lot of ways, way more well-produced than it needed to be for whatever the fuck it was. So I was watching this going, oh, my God, this is a company that has to keep a lean roster and, and, and make sure that they have their money tight and every single month's got to be exactly perfect money-wise, and they're going to waste money on this fucking thing on smoke machines and, and, and fake blood and special effects for this? What the fuck? <laughs> I, listen, Sue Young, Bray Wyatt, Nikki Cross, Lucha Underground, all of that shit, you could round it all up, and like our friends in Europe like to say, it could all get in the bin. I got no fucking use for any of it. It's, it's just garbage. Um, I don't want it in my pro wrestling. If I want that, if I want to see campy D level horror, I'll go watch a campy D level horror movie. It's my same complaint, like not complaint necessarily, but why I don't really pay attention to like. And there's not so much of it now in this era, but in past eras, why I never really paid all that much attention to like TNA in pro wrestling, not TNA the wrestling company, but tits and ass, like you know lingerie matches and you know valets that serve no purpose other than to have their tits hanging out. And I never got into that stuff. I, I watch wrestling to see wrestling. I don't watch wrestling to to ogle over hot women. I like hot women and I like wrestling, but I I, I don't I don't see why they should go together. I, I like a horror movie now and then. I don't see what that has to do with what I'm watching pro wrestling. They just don't go together. I, I you know Bray Wyatt doing spooky magic tricks and Sue Young killing people with axes and Lucha Underground murdering characters. It's just it's never ever ever going to connect with me it's never going to be something i want in my pro wrestling ever i'm never changing my stance on that and this isn't like a cornet rant because i never wanted any of that crap i just want to watch people wrestle i want to see people who don't like each other fight it's all i want you know and and there's a fine line you know there's a fine line and there's exceptions for everything because you know, maybe people are screaming at the radios right now. On this very fucking promotion, you watched a kid die when they got hit by a car. That didn't bother me. I don't know why. I don't know what the difference is. I don't have a good answer for you. I don't have anything clever to say. But that just came off campy. That whole storyline came off campy. And I don't know. It didn't really bother me. Maybe it didn't bother me because the kid wasn't a wrestler. Maybe I struggle with, you know, killing wrestlers. It's just weird to me. But... This kind of stuff, this over-the-top – or maybe because it wasn't over-the-top and supernatural. Maybe that's the reason. 
I don't like fucking monsters and ghosts and fucking wizards. And I can't, I can't buy into that shit. Well, I mean, there was like multiple like legit deaths, you know, of wrestlers that I'm sure will come back in weeks. You know what I mean? Like, that's the problem is is stuff like that, and and then they have to go back in another week. And like like you said, the kid wasn't. A, you know, it's stupid that we're actually saying this or whatever. But it like, the kid's not going to show up in two weeks and like get in a cravat with like Conan or whatever. Whereas like Sue Young is probably going to you know in three weeks come back and and do like a you know an elbow. You know, like a you know a rest spot with Ali in a match or whatever. It's like, what are we doing? Like, you can't go back. You can't go back from this. Like this, like if you're gonna do this, this is it. Like this is what you have to do now. You can't just now go back and have Ali just in the ring. Like, oh yeah, what's going on or whatever. You know, this that's Ali the wrestler. <laughs> like you just can't do it. It's so yeah. It was just so bizarre. And then listen, Rich, when I was a teenager and they stuffed Undertaker into the fucking coffin and he rose up at fucking Royal Rumble, I hated that too. I mean, I I've, I'm not being inconsistent here. I just don't like this shit. It's stupid. I I it, it loses loses me instantly and you know i was never into it as a kid it's like i was annoyed that they were using tenru that way this guy i read about in magazines and you know this great japanese star and i just want to see the guy wrestle I, I don't need to see the undertaker you know rising into the sky it's just i fucking hate this stuff and that's why you know the undertaker character never really I, we've talked about that a million times the undertaker gimmicking character never really connected with me i just i'd watch it and i'd throw my hands at it and i'd be like eh, i can't you know a dead wrestler i'm not i just i can't buy it yeah, this was this was other shit. So hopefully, uh, yeah, <laughs> I felt I really felt like I wasted whatever, and it was way too long too. I was just like, oh my god, how was this? Oh my god, it happen? never ended. It's it fucking. Like, I'm sure it was only ten minutes, but it felt like it, it felt like fifty. It, it they had never to put the ring back together, and I. But I, I, my god, it felt like it took an hour. Like it's just the longest fucking thing. And uh, yeah, I I just thought it sucked. So the opener was Rich Swan and Willie Mack. They defeated Matt Seidel and Ethan Page. Rich, I thought it was a hot opener. Really good opener. This was. I'm gonna say my favorite match of the night, but I mean it was really, really good. I, I might be. I mean, I, the main event is probably my favorite match of the night. This might be number two, though. I really, really like this opener. Really good stuff. Willie Mack looked great. Uh, Ethan Page, of course, is is always delivers pretty well. And then Matt Seidel and Rich Swan. I mean, come on, Jesus, those guys are great. So yeah, this was this was really good. Way above my expectations. Way Willie Mack has earned a job off of this as they are signing Willie Mack to a contract. They've also signed Jordan Grace to a contract. So it's like we talked about when we talked about Impact the last couple of weeks they're using the best talent available and they're recognizing good talent and they're signing good talent and they're doing all the right things on that front it's just a matter of how do you get people to watch and that's a question that if i could solve it maybe i'd be making don yeah, Callis money sitting here talking the three hours every week about how, how much we love wrestling yeah we'd uh we'd so, be able to do some more stuff you know because no one can seem to figure it out but um did you happen to see the picture of Ethan Page standing next to Brian Cage. And he was like twice his size. Did you see this, Rich? Yeah, Brian Cage is not a tall man at all. He's a no, wide Ethan man. Ethan Page is way bigger than people think. This no, man he's is huge. Big. He's huge. He's giant. Ethan Page is, is giant. I come up, to, I think, so I'm six foot. Um, I've because he worked at AEW a bunch of times or whatever. He was on the all in press conference or whatnot. I think I come up to his shoulders basically. Like he is head and shoulders and he's like a big dude too you know what i mean he's like thick yes like you can tell like he walks in the room and you're like holy shit like that's a wrestler like that he's kind of that, got that old school wrestler feel like there was one time joe and and a little bit of an aside i was it, i remember exactly what it was it was almost about a uh, 20 years to this day or whatever uh judgment day 1998 was going to happen at the rosemont horizon uh in chicago on whatever it was it was i think it was exactly like a 20 years ago now october or october whatever the night before i went to a blackhawks game with me and my cousin we went to you know a, a blackhawks game and we're walking through the 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 um the arena and the headbangers walk by 
Now, mind you, I'm still young at this point, but these dudes were so fucking big, the headbangers. And you're like, you see them on TV and they just look like they're nothing. And go back and look at how big, like, headbanger Mosh is. Like, go look at how fucking tall and wide that guy is. We take for granted, like, I think yeah. we forget a lot how big yeah. wrestlers used to be. Billy fucking Gunn is the biggest man you've ever seen in your life now. Like, at all in, Billy Gunn was a monster. You thought he was a giant. Yeah, like, like in terms like of giants. Yeah. Like, in terms of people you see in real life, Billy yeah. Gunn would be among the biggest. Like, the guy's like 6'5. You know, a solid 260. How many humans do you see on a day in, day out basis that size? And it's like Ethan Page, it was just because Brian Cage is an enormous human being. I mean, he's got muscle. He, the guy is just, he's like a human cartoon character. And it was just, and, and Ethan Page was not only taller, but wider than Brian Cage in this photo. Um, and it was making the rounds on Twitter because Ethan Page actually made a joke about it. He's like, I am a very huge human being. And I didn't realize how big I was uh, seeing himself in this picture. You know, standing next to, uh, you know, Brian Cage and Rich Swan and Matt Seidel and just being taking up, you know, 40 percent of the space in, in, in the fucking frame. I mean, it's, it's astounding. I was shocked at how big Ethan. But then you think about it like you're saying and you picture him next to other wrestlers like, yeah, Ethan Page is a huge man. And remember, they wanted him to cut down the 205 for potentially being in the Cruiserweight Classic. There's no fucking way Ethan Page is getting down. No, remember, he lost unless, all that weight. Yeah. When he was he trying was to good, get but it was like, but you knew it wasn't like healthy weight. Like that's not what his body's supposed to be at. It's he's he's a big dude. He's he's a wide guy. Like yeah, that that was not gonna, that was not gonna stay on very well either. So yeah, that was uh probably good that he 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 went the other way and just went back to his normal weight. Because yeah, he's, he's, he's a big he's not, dude. He's not, and, and, yeah, he's in decent shape. I mean, he's just a thick guy. I mean, he's not yeah yeah he's not husky like uh you know uh, Dick Slater or uh, allegedly Ty Valkyrie. But you know he's he's just a. He, He's a, he's a, you know, according to Austin Aries, but uh, uh, please do not put that heat on Joe Land. Hey, well, go ahead. What the fuck is the difference? I got, you know, but, um, you know, it, it's, he's just a bigger guy, you know, mm-hmm. he's just a fucking thick guy. He's not, he's out of shape. He's Brian Cage he's, is shockingly short too. I mean, he's, he's obviously like a house of a man. Like he's actually literally the size of a house, but he's not like, you know what I mean? I think he's, a, I think he's a normal height from right. And the thing that you, you're also mentioning too, is go, if you look at what Brian Cage looked like, you know, pre brian cage i should say you know i'm making a big i'm getting bigger as i'm mentioning that but as i get wider brian cage like his frame is probably like at their normal weights he's probably normally gonna walk around less than ethan page like ethan page has a bigger frame than him yes brian cage puts every inch of that frame (laughs) to the most use that he can similar to british bulldog british bulldog you would see and he had like the skinniest fucking hips you've ever seen in your life but of course he was he was 275 of pure fucking muscle or whatever but like, yeah, you could see, and and the Brian Cage is that similar way where he's not like a big man. He just uses every inch of his body with you know muscle. He has zero percent body fat or whatever. Whereas you know, yeah, Ethan and myself have a little bit more. So that's... and like you said, the frame. Ethan Page has the bigger frame. Yeah, and it's guys like British Bulldog. He's a great comparison. British Bulldog and Brian Cage. It's like British Bulldog guys peak. Those guys are just so fucking muscular. They're 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 fucking bodybuilders that they have. You know, someone is way into but when they have when they have muscles in their face. You know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He's, like Brian Cage, has, his face is is fucking tight. Like his face muscles are fucking built. Like you see it in female bodybuilders a lot. They have muscles in their face. Uh, British Bulldog just had a muscular face. You know what I mean? It's like that's when you've gone too far with the bodybuilding. Uh, but uh, but okay. So down for glory. Look, I thought it was a good show. Um, you know, I don't think it's fair to compare it to Slammiversary because that was just a one of those shows where everything just clicks. 
But a good show. Uh, I don't think there's going to be anything uh, other than the Austin Aries thing. There's really nothing negative you can take from this show. And, um, you know, uh, do you have anything else to add here? Do you have Not any? Really. I, thought, I thought Slammiversary was better uh, all around, but I won't say that this was a bad show. I mean, I think it was yet another pretty good one from them. And yeah, other than the Austin Aries thing, which I don't think was by design, I think everything else went across pretty well. And, and yeah, that's kind of the thing with Impact this year is like there used to be a running joke that anytime an Impact pay-per-view would happen, they would do something disastrous, something stupid or something terrible. That was for a decade. It was basically every time they would do, run pay-per-view, you're like, oh, here we go. This, I, again, they're, again, another just solid show from top to bottom, not the level of Slammiversary, like a show of the year contender like that was, but nothing bad. I mean, I enjoyed every part of this. And until the bell rang of Austin Aries and, and, and Impact, I thought it was perfect from that point. I thought they did everything exactly how I would. Concrete Jungle left a little to be desired, but still a pretty solid match, all things considered. And yeah, the main event really uh, delivered, and you got a new champ, and, and, the, the, and it felt right. Like, it felt like a good opportunity for him to win the title, too. So yeah, uh, thumbs up all around, except for, yeah, obviously, whatever happened with after the bell on uh, the main event, but all right, so a couple more topics to get to. We'll blow through these next two because then we've got two more shows to preview. We're going to preview the NWA 70th anniversary show coming up this weekend. We're going to preview DDT Peter Pan coming up this weekend. But first, we're going to take a look. We're going to drop into New Japan, take a quick look at the Super Junior Tag League. If you're looking for intensive, deep reviews of the Super Junior Tag League shows, I've got those on the subscriber side. I'm doing every single night of the tournament the same way that I reviewed every single night of the G1 tournament on the subscriber side uh, during July and August. They're, they're, the shows are structured the, in the exact same manner. So if you're looking for deep, detailed reviews of the Super Junior Tag League, uh, cough up the five bucks and go find it there. Uh, Rich, we'll just go over this quickly. We have uh, The next show is not until the 19th, so we do have a couple days off here. And right now, sitting at the top, the two... I hate to the, tell you that it's the 18th, Joe. Well, listen... <laughs> We, we tape we tape this show, Rich. People don't know that. No, but see, the 19th you, is tomorrow. By the time everybody listens to it, it will have already happened. You see? <sighs> Just say it. I don't have a couple days off. <laughs> Logged off. Just a couple days off in between. <laughs> the second core can show... Which was what? The 17th. I see what you're saying. I got it. Go ahead. Go ahead. I now see what you're saying. Okay. I now see what you're saying. Okay. Which is in the Hiroshima green ring on the 19th. I'm on top of it. I'm reviewing it every fucking day. And you got to bury me. You got to bury me. So anyway, as I was getting to. Yes. Yes. Slash Patreon. Or slash, what is it? What's the- <laughs> Voicesofwrestling.com slash Patreon and or Patreon.com slash Voices of Wrestling. Yeah. Two, two options. <sighs> you, you just sapped my enthusiasm. I'm I sorry, was on a I'm roll. Just re- I was re- on a roll. Shake it off. Get back. Shake You're good. There's two teams undefeated through the first two nights. Those teams are the LIJ team of Bushi and Shingo Takagi and Taiji Ishimori. And played out exactly as uh, last week. Because victory lap, I'll do half a lap. You know, I'll do half a lap ar- around. I won't do the full lap. I'm not carrying a flag. I'm not pumping my fists over my air like the skulk. But I'll do like a little mini lap here. It played out just like I thought. I thought Bushi and Shingo 
would beat Rapongi 3K uh, on night one and get off to a good start. I thought Robbie Eagles and Taiji Ishimori would beat, uh, you know, win their first match, and Robbie Eagles would score a pin to get him established, you know, right off the bat on night one. And both of those teams are off to good starts. They're in first place. We've got a wacky four-way tie uh, at one-in-one for uh, the Suzuki Gun champions, Kanemaru and Despi, the CMLL team of Volador and Soberano, the uh, the Show and Yo Rapongi 3K and Jushin Thunder Liger and Tiger Mask. And there's two teams who haven't picked up a win yet. Time Machine, I don't know if they're calling them that, but I'm calling them that, Kushida and Chris Sabin. And then the ACH Ryusuke Taguchi team, which if you have listened to the reviews, I hate this fucking team with every fiber of my being. I cannot stand Taguchi. I, I want him to go away. And uh, they are 0-2, and, and I hope they go 0-178. and 178. I hope they, in, in their seven matches, they somehow find a way to lose 300 matches. I fucking cannot stand Taguchi. He annoys me every time uh, he steps into the ring. And uh, they're 0-2, so they're off to a bad start. Rich, subscribers have heard my thoughts. Have you watched uh, some of this, and what are some of your uh, – Quick thoughts on what's going on in the Super Junior Tag League so far. Yeah, I'll start at the top. I mean, Shingo's looking great so far. There's there's some stuff that's going to have to get worked out. Like, his attire still seems a little off or whatnot. It's it's probably going to be an adjustment period for a lot of us because if you've been following Shingo for the last you know decade or whatever, it's it just seems weird him in this atmosphere or whatnot. But he seems to be taking to it pretty easily. And 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 I thought the match that he had on the 17th. Uh, as you're saying, was was real good because he was able to kind of show off a little bit more, do a little bit more of the moves, have a little bit more of the power. He's he's getting comfortable again. He's he's starting to kind of feel it again. So so I'm excited to see where that goes. Um, and he's clearly the star of that team as well, which we all knew that he would be. Um, so it's just fascinating to see what they've done so far with him, uh, and 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 see kind of the the learning curves of it or whatnot. Uh, Ishimura and Robbie Eagles, I think they're a team that I've enjoyed their output so far, but I think they're capable of a lot more, and they maybe are holding off until the final few nights of the tournament. I think they've done good stuff, but I think they're, they're they like I said, they're capable of more. I think this team is going to blow somebody away when they eventually just have one of those matches where they're allowed to do that. Um, I thought what was really interesting, and you mentioned that you thought um, that Eagles was going to get the pinfall. I thought him getting the pinfall over Jushin Thunder Liger, though, was particularly interesting to see. I thought, yeah, of course, he can beat, you know, beat a Tiger Mask or whatnot. But Robbie Eagles pinning Liger on his first night in, I mean, that's that's lofty. That's not, you know. Well, well you know, Rich, something I've been talking about um, on, on the review shows that you clearly aren't listening to, um, something I've been talking about on those shows, Rich never listens to anything I do, so uh, it, it's a running gag. Um, one of the things I've been talking about is if you really pay attention to that Jushin Thunder Liger Tiger Mask team, Tiger Mask scores all the falls, and Liger takes all the falls. Yeah, right. It's it, it, it's it's kind of. But you would never think that. Every single time Liger gets pinned, I go, "Oh my god, Liger, Liger got pinned and not Tiger Mask." Like, yeah, I'm never gonna not get surprised by it though for some reason. And they really built up that fall. I mean, Liger was trying to fight to get out of that reverse figure mm-hmm. four, and uh, you know it, it, they did a good job establishing Eagles right off the bat, first match in. You know, he gets the fall over the legend and he does it in impressive fashion. The 450 splash on the leg and then locking him in the reverse figure four. So, yeah, it, uh, it, I'm inter- it's interesting that you also took note of that. I, you know, the thing with Robbie Eagles is is he hasn't even scratched the surface of what he's capable of. You know, I've seen no, this. And that's, what I'm, like, that's when I'm watching these matches. I go, oh, man, people don't even know yet. Like, they're going to get, I mean, especially with his fucking teammate, Saichi Shimori. Like, they're going to have a match at some point against someone. I don't know who exactly. That's just going to fucking blow the doors off the entire arena. So, yeah. And, and with Shingo, I mean, I, I don't think I'm as high on his work so far as some other people are. I think there's a lot of room to get better. I mean, you know, I think he's been good, but I don't think he's comfortable yet. I think there's a lot of room for Shingo to get 
more and more comfortable with the house style, which is very different from the Dragon Gate house style. Just the pacing of the matches is a lot slower in New Japan. Yeah. Um, you don't have that frenetic pace that you have in Dragon Gate tag, especially the closing stretches are a lot slower in New Japan than they are. Dragon Gate closing stretches are a blur. There's bodies flying all over the place and um, you know everything is, is on hyper speed and that isn't what New Japan, you know, it's just a different house style. He's also got to get acclimated to being part of LIJ, which is very runs very counter to what his usual uh, character work is. Uh, he's got the new gear. Everything is probably very uncomfortable for him at this point. All of his opponents are different. He's been working with the same guys for fucking 10 That's years. What I was That's the biggest thing that I think is the adjustment from, from leaving Dragon Gate is that those guys, it's the same crew of, of 20 guys or whatever that have worked together every single day, every single night for, for decades. And then like you leave that and it's like, oh shit. Like, and yeah, he's done stuff with Big Japan. He's done stuff with All Japan here and there. But for the most very part, limited. I mean, yeah, very limited. I mean, for the most part of, of 95% of his matches have been with with the same core group of 10, 15 guys or whatever. And now, you know, he's a whole new roster with whole new guys that don't know his style. That's the thing that we love about Dragon Gate. When you watch, like, when you know that these dudes are just on the exact same page with every single move, and that's why they're able to work at a blur's pace. That's why they're able to do insane stuff that you would never see because they just know the other guys so well because they've been on the road with these guys. They know these guys like the back of their hand. And and, and so that's where, yeah, there's going to be that adjustment period because I think the speed is really what I haven't seen with Shingo yet. Like all the moves are kind of there, but you're not seeing like the the lariats where he just hits it out of fucking nowhere and just knocks the guy's head off and that sort of stuff. That might never come though. That's the thing. That might never actually become a thing. But I I, I think it will eventually once he gains a little bit more comfort with them. But like you said, he's he's still kind of getting acclimated with a little bit. I think he's doing better than I thought he would at this point. But it's still yeah, it's not quite there yet. Look, when people come into New Japan and when people return from excursion and things like that with new gimmicks and whatnot, there's always that. Period. Look, we talked about it with Jay White. We, we've talked about it when Evil uh, first came back. It was very awkward. Uh, you can go right down the line. There is an adjustment period to coming into a new environment or coming back and working a slightly different gimmick. And it, it takes a little while. I think Shingo could actually be a lot better than he is right now. And I think he will get better. And uh, I think Shingo is going to um, you know, be a, a top-level worker in New Japan moving forward. And I don't even think we've scratched the surface of how good he could be because he has not blown me away yet. I know he's blown some other people away. I haven't seen that. Um, but I think you know, uh, as good as he's been now, he is going to be a lot better moving forward. And I do think, I do think there's heavyweight potential too. You know, I, I don't think it's any kind of a lock or anything like that. We have to see how he gets over. And I think he will get over. He's been over so far, but it's Corrigan. I mean, he's going to be over in Corrigan. He's been working there for, for 12 years. But it's, and they're the hardcore fans that, you know, follow everything. But um, the, the thing right now with, with Shingo is it's, he's scored every fall in every match he's been in. They're establishing him as a star and they're establishing his signature moves. That's what's going on right now. The, the goal right now is Shingo scores every pin. And you better believe if this team loses, Bushi's getting pinned. Okay, Shingo's going to score every pin. Bushi's going to eat the two, the one, two. They're not going to lose more than three matches. So Bushi's going to drop the one or two falls that they lose in this tournament. Shingo's going to score every fall. And this tour is designed to get Shingo over as a star. That's what this is designed for. In the meantime, he'll get acclimated to his surroundings and the house style. And I think the sky's the limit for this guy. Okay, people are talking about maybe facing Kushida at Wrestle Kingdom. I do think that's you know a potential possibility and all those sorts of things. I'm thinking long term. I'm thinking this guy versus Okada. I'm thinking this guy versus Tanahashi. I'm thinking of the All Japan Champion Carnival 
and and transferring that to New Japan and think I'm thinking about him versus all of these great workers in New Japan is what I'm thinking about heavyweight workers. Uh, you know, and, it, and it's great if he has a nice junior run, but I really think this guy can be a heavyweight. And yeah, I, I think, think that's, be- that, I think he's going to get more out of that too. Like, I think it'll be fun to watch the power junior thing, but I'm going through the list and I'm thinking about all the matches and I'm like, ah, you know what? I'm way more excited for everything. It's him versus Goto, him versus Ishii, like those two matches right away. Oh, yeah. oh my God. Like him oh. versus Goto is going to be incredible in that. Half. Like God knows what those guys are going to do to each other. The, the potential is so much bigger on the heavyweights. There's some good junior stuff. There's some good matches that he can have, but I really hope that it's not just like a prolonged thing. I hope that he's there for a few months and then moves on to heavyweight because I think that's where you're going to really unlock the whole potential of it. Yeah, and if that's they think that, and if they think that you can be a heavyweight star, they'll move you up. They've proven that a million sure. times. So those are my impressions of Shingo early. I'm not nearly as high on, on the on his performances as some others are, but he's been good. But I really genuinely think he can get better as uh, as that tour rolls along. We'll continually have updates. And uh, if you're a subscriber, you get reviews same day of every single show. So uh, the next one is the 19th. That's uh, Friday. So we'll have a show on Friday. Real quickly, uh, another thing that uh, Show and Yo, I've really liked their matches so far, too. Those guys are, are becoming stars. And we knew that eventually that was going to come. And we knew that, again, like the comfort level that would have to take. But those guys are like bona fide stars. They come out and the women are screaming and they just feel like, dudes you know what i mean like on these shows they feel like the man they feel like the most the biggest team as they should be i mean they definitely ha- have earned that but they just feel for whatever reason on this tour i've kind of noticed like man they just feel like stars they feel like superstars right now so it's cool yeah and show and shingo have clearly been positioned sort of as rivals here you yeah. know shingo pinned them in the debut match and then in the in the match in cork and they were paired off against each other and, and had some hot sequences and and it's very clear that those guys could be junior rivals for the next two years, for all we know. I mean, you know, and and I think they both have have star potential here. And you know, shows obviously about ten years. Well, probably shows not as young as you think. Remember, show and yo were not super young young lions, and they and they and they stuck around for three or four years before they went on an excursion. Those guys are pushing thirty. You know, you think okay, they just came back. What are they? Twenty three? No, those guys are probably like twenty seven, twenty eight, twenty nine. Yeah, Shotanaka's twenty nine. Yeah. They're pushing 30. So it's like, I don't think you're going to be waiting as long as you think you might be waiting for that. And they're, and clearly, I think they view him as the uh, future single star um, of the team. Not that, you know, take nothing away from Yo, but I, I don't think he has the same kind of charisma that that show has, uh, has shown to this point. And it's very clear to me that I think Shingo and Sho are two guys that right off the bat, they want you to think are, uh, are, are rivals. So we'll see there. And as far as, um, I want to make one other point. Oh, the Young Lion opener on the first Corican show is a match that everybody needs to go out of their way to see. To me, so far, it's been the best match of the entire yeah. tournament. Oh, yeah, no, no doubt. Definitely. And, and, and yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, it was awesome. And then the next night, they had an awesome one, too, and they added yeah. Hanma to it, too. So, yeah, like I, I thought, and I watched that, you know, I, I did a review for uh, voicewrestling.com of the, uh, the 17th show, I think, the 16th and 17th, I forget what the date was. Second there. show or the first show? Uh, second show, second show. 17th. 17th. And that was the best match on the entire show. It was like an opener. It was awesome. And it paled in comparison to the opener on, on the 16th. I mean, that yeah. one was... <laughs> that Yeah, like you said, the best match of this entire tour so far. Far and away. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I completely agree. I, you know, that was just awesome. So and, 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 and that's another thing. They've paired off Ayato Yoshida with Umino. Have you noticed that? In every match. And then they go nose-to-nose in the post-match. They, those guys are, are being positioned as rivals as well. And, and you know, they both look great, especially Amino. Um, so, so yeah, that's that's a quick synopsis of the tour to this point. And any other thoughts on this before we move on? Uh, no, I think that's it. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Yeah, no, that's it. So feel free to move on. 
All right. Remember, it's the top two. So, uh, you know, these teams that are 0 and 2 right now, if they don't win their next match, and I'm talking about ACH and Taguchi and Kushida and Chris Sabin, they're done. Because then the best they can do is 4 and 3. And if you go 4 and 3 in a single block tournament like this, there's no way you're winning tiebreakers and sneaking into the final. Because there's, there's team, the teams at the top are not going any worse than 5 and 2. I can't see the LIJ team losing more than two matches. I can't see Ishimori and Eagles losing more than two matches. And Sho and Yo, you know, they split their first two, but they faced the, t- the, the, the favorites already. They faced LIJ and they faced the champions. Because, you know, forget, Kanemaru and Despi aren't going any less than five and two either. So it's like, you know, I think it's going to be top heavy. So, you know, if you're looking at ACH and Taguchi or Kushida and Chris Sabin and thinking that maybe they could at least get to the final, they can't start. If they start, Owen, if you start Owen three, you're done. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's you too know, many teams that, that need to be protected in this thing. That, like you're saying, yeah, teams like that, teams that don't meet, like a Kushida, even even a Kushida Saban, like they're they're done. Like they're toast. Like there's no way yeah, they're going to be done. And it's like showing yo. It's like they were a lock to defeat Kanemaru and Desperado because they couldn't start them off zero and two with with losses to Lij and Suzuki Gun because they figured to be tied with one or both of those teams at the end. So they weren't going to. They'd essentially have been eliminated at that point. So, you know, they, they had to beat Kanemaru and Desperado, you know, because, uh, look, there's only seven matches here and we're all in the same block. So, you know, it's it's things are going to move quickly with this in terms of teams being eliminated or, or, or even mathematically, it's going to come quick. You know, this isn't like the G1 where you have 10 matches. So uh, anyway, that's the Super Junior Tag League uh, waiting for the first great uh, match of that tour. I'm sure we'll get a couple. Uh, maybe closer towards the back end. These, these, you know, house show type events. I don't expect these guys to go all out. But uh, what do you want to do next? You want to do Noah? Uh, yeah, so let's touch on Noah for a little bit. Okay. So we both watched uh, uh, Takashi Segura defend against uh, Nakajima um, in the, 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 the um, GHC title match. We haven't talked Noah in a long time. It's been a long, long, long time. Too long. And, you know, we both liked the match. Um, you know, I, I more than liked it. I thought I thought it was a great match. There were things about it I didn't like. Segura uh, successfully defends the title, by the way. Here's the things I liked. Nakajima is a tremendous uh, little heel prick. Uh, you know, he, he's he's grown out that wacky curly hair. He's got that little molestache. And it fits his heel gimmick now. He's a little prick. He's a little annoying prick. And he does it very well. And it was a, it was a much needed... He needed to change up his look after... I don't care what anybody says. Unfortunately, it was a failed championship run that, you know, when they tried to run with him as the company ace, just didn't work. That's okay. You knew they weren't going to give up on him forever, but they had to press the reset button on him. He's doing something different and it has absolutely worked for him. Segura, he's 48 years old. He's one of the most underrated wrestlers of this era. I mean, I'm confident in saying that the guy's great. He's been great for a number of years. He's been great since he was a junior. He's been great. Uh, he's always a great champion. He always, uh, you know, he has these, uh, you know, sneaky great matches. He's a guy's a great pro wrestler. Okay. So they had this match and, 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 you know, I thought the strikes at the end of the match were, uh, looked great. And I thought the finish was excellent. I know you want to talk about the finish in particular, so I won't steal your thunder. Things I didn't like about the match were some of the things that you didn't like about the match. I thought the weapon spot was unnecessary. I thought the goofy ref bump was unnecessary. The silly aspects of the match were the things I didn't need, and I didn't think that the match needed. But uh, overall, I thought it was a great match. I'd go somewhere four and a quarter. 
I think is a fair rating for this. I'm uncomfortable going much higher, but I really wouldn't go much lower either. It was definitely four stars plus. Uh, Rich, what did you think of the match? Yeah, I'm probably right where you're at, maybe a little over, maybe four and a quarter, uh, about where I'd go with that match. I think I put that on, on, on Twitter. I forgot exactly what I rated it. But yeah, no, I really liked it. Um, when, when you're talking about Nakajima's, you know, tight, you know, the, the career transformation and the character transformation, definitely much needed. Uh, and people that haven't seen it yet, you know, he's, you know, the Nakajima of old, like the clean cut, you know, happy go lucky kind of baby face or whatnot. Now he's got curly hair. He's got a little bit of facial hair. He's kind of a prick, too. You know, the, the bell so rings, he's laying down, and he's got that smirk on his face all the time. Yeah, like he's walking wanna... to the ring really slowly. Mm-hmm. The bell rings, and he just lays down. And the ref's like, all right, come on, get up. And he's like, nah. You know, he's just like, nah, you know, I'm, I'm good. I'll do it on my own time or whatever. So it's, it's good stuff. And then you have Segura, who's just badass, all business, all the time. Just looking at him like, my fucking God, I'm a, I hate you so much. Like, God damn it, get your ass up, and I'm going to whoop your ass. But, uh, yeah, and then, like... The things that I didn't like about the match, like you said, the, the weapon shots were a little much. But the problem, though, that I think or, or the, the thing that maybe made it a little bit all right. And I, I once once it was all said and done, and once the match was over, I didn't mind him as much because you had the, the first weapon shot. I forget what he did. I think he had a cha- he got a chair and grabbed Segura and hit him over the top of the head. That one was whatever. That was at the beginning of the match. It couldn't, have done, you know, whatever. And then later they do a two by four shot, if I remember correctly. Nakajima hits him with a two by four, uh, like in the chest. And the cool thing about that, though, that I liked is that that basically sets Segura off. Then the next time he had an opportunity, he didn't hit him with elbows. He closed fists, just punched the fuck out of Nakajima to say like, all right, I've had enough of this shit. I've tried to play nice and you're hitting me with these weapons. You're doing all this bullshit. Fuck off. I'm going to beat the hell out of you. And just, so I like that idea of like that sent him over the edge. So it's almost like, yeah, I don't need the tables. Or like, I don't need the weapons. I don't, I don't think the weapons really were necessary in any way, but I think it did in some way, the way that they were going to tell the story, it did help it because he hits the, you know, he hits it with the two by four and that kind of sets the gear off. Like, all right, now I'm pissed. Like you can out wrestle me. That's whatever, but no, you're not hitting me with weapons. So then the next time he gets an opportunity, he just like, as a cold clocks, but just punches the fuck out of him with a closed fist or whatever. But uh, yeah, the kicks at the end from Nakajima were great. And I love the idea uh, the crowd just really, really wanted to see Segura win, and I like the idea that just yeah, he did it all he could. It just wouldn't, it just didn't quite work out. Nakajima was just better, you know, on that night or whatever. So, I, so I enjoyed that aspect of it a lot, and it just uh, yeah, it was, I thought it was a really, really good match. Uh, I heard match of the year level. I don't think it's quite that for me. I thought maybe four and a quarter is about where I put it. This is not match of the year level, no. Um, but it, it, but you know, I, that, that I, I hate doing that because I liked the match and I thought it was a really great match, but. Um, you know, it's no insult to say something isn't um, match of the year level, but I hate that. You know, sometimes you know you have to you have to say that. But uh, in terms of um, oh, I guess the other big match on the show, we should talk about that because I was going to talk about uh, the business aspect of it. But uh, very quickly, I watched Kater- uh, Katero Suzuki, of course, coming in from all Japan and winning the Global League. He beat Yohei in the final. Um, Look, I I don't know. Oh, sorry, I, not was... I said I said Nakajima won. Segura won, obviously. I, I mixed that up. I don't know why I said that. Someone, someone's just... already tweeting at us, so I don't even know if you noticed. I thought about it after I said it. I was like, oh wait a minute, did I screw that up? Yeah, sorry. Of course, I, Segura won. I didn't even I didn't even notice. Yeah, you yeah. Say that. I, maybe maybe I didn't, but just in case I did, of course, Segura won. So, um, semi main event: Katero Suzuki wins the Global uh, Junior League over Yohei in uh, 17 minutes. It was all right. Um, you know, I, I I thought it was okay. I'd probably go three and a quarter, maybe three and a half. If I'm being yeah, generous. I'm probably three. I, it felt long, even though it was. I know the main event was like double the length, but it just felt long. It just felt like not a lot of a lot of time and not a whole lot happening for me. I just yeah, it didn't didn't hit me on that level. I like Suzuki's work here. Um, 
you know, he's coming in as the outsider. He's he's coming in as kind of a heel. Um, he's coming in when he came into the, uh, you know, when he came in, um, the, the angle that they ran to bring him in uh, for this tournament. He was like, hey, look, I was in Noah for 10 years or whatever it was. And I don't know who the hell all, all these juniors are now, but they're not at my class. And they, that's it's, it's a good way to bring the guy into the tournament. You know what I mean? It's sure. like uh, yeah. his old stomping grounds and all that. And um, but Yohei, I don't know. There's just something lacking with Yohei. I don't have anything against Yohei. Um, you know, some of the tag team matches with Hayata, they're sloppy. Like he tends to that tag team tends to have very sloppy spot fest style matches. If you're gonna have a spot fest style match, the one thing it can't be is sloppy. And I find those two guys to be very sloppy with their work a good deal of the time. Um, here in this singles match, there wasn't so much of that because Suzuki really controlled the match. But, um, you know, Yohei just always leaves something for me to be desired. And it's not like I think he's a terrible pro wrestler, but I'd be lying if I told you I thought he was a good one. Yeah, I've never known, known quite why it doesn't connect with me or why he doesn't really do much for me. But it's it just, yeah, I don't I, like, I guess his offense just to me looks kind of like weak. Cause I don't know what it is. I, I can't put a finger I on it. But that. Yeah, he looks, his offense does look weak. I it's mean, just kind of, yeah, I know. And then like Suzuki was all, I mean, he comes with those, uh, the, the meteoras and just like fucking drives them in. You know what I mean? It was just yeah. like, and you see that guy and you're like, yeah, that's what I want. Like, especially with Noah, like maybe it doesn't bother me. Maybe Yohei wouldn't bother me in another company. But then you watch that main event where these dudes are just punching and kicking the fuck out of each other. Katara Suzuki comes in here and he's kicking the, and then you have Yohei who just seems just light. I don't know what it is. It's just, yeah, it just doesn't connect with me for whatever reason. I don't know if it's the look. I don't know if it's the, the hair. Like, I don't know what it is. I just watch them and it's just like, yeah, whatever. Like, I was really happy. Uh, I thought Suzuki looked great in this. Katara Suzuki looked awesome in it. But yeah, Yohei just, for whatever reason, just never connects with me. And I've tried. And there's been some matches that I really enjoyed uh, uh, of his, usually in the, in, in the team. But for whatever reason, it just, yeah, it just doesn't click with me as much as it does and, and and this match was i think a great example of it where suzuki i thought looked awesome and, and was hitting things that i'm like yeah that's Noah right there that's what i want and then like yo hey I, I don't know yeah maybe the offense is weak I, I don't know it's hard to put a finger on what it is i guess um you know i thought the match could have been more dramatic you know i don't need a hot closing sequence with a bunch of fucking near falls in every match that i watch but if any match was built for that it was this one because you've got the hometown babyface, the clear underdog. I thought he should have gotten some more near falls towards the end of this. It's kind of like Suzuki just put him away. Um, yeah, I, that I was weird. I, I, I honestly, because I, I was watching this and, and I was just kind of scrolling through, I forgot that this was actually the final until he, they started giving him like a trophy and shit. I'm like, wait, oh, oh my God, that was the final. Like, because it yeah. didn't have that same, like you said, he just hit the meteor or, or whatever. I forget what he calls it. And then it was just like, hit it again. And then he just pinned him. And you're like, oh, all right. Like, yeah, I mean, he put him away definitively, it. but this was a match that really, the match structure called for some drama here, you know, especially a tournament final, underdog babyface. This is the this is where you overdo near falls. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you see matches where they overdo near falls and it's just not the time or place. This was the time and place for that. Uh, so from that perspective, um, I didn't really dig the match structure either. It was all right. I, it wasn't a bad match. I can't sit here and tell you it was a bad match. Um, but, um, you know, I was expecting a little more. I thought it would be, uh, uh better than what it was. Katero Suzuki, I guess I should note that technically he's a freelance, uh, wrestler, but this year he has spent most of his time in all Japan. And I guess that's where he spent most of his time, uh, the last few years, but technically he's a freelancer. So I don't know how much longer he's going to stick around here. I would assume they're still, look, he's not going to win their tournament and then hightail it out. So, you know, obviously he's going to stick around for, for, uh, a period of time and we'll see where that goes. If he ends up winning their junior title or whatnot. But uh, as far as the show goes from a business perspective, 
The show did 1,314 fans. That was up about 300 fans from the last Corican show, which is a good comp because that was a Sagira title defense against uh, Masa Kitamiya. So uh, Nakajima drew more, uh, drew better than Kitamiya, which is to be expected. I mean, I don't think anybody thinks that, uh, the, you know, a Kitamiya title shot, which nobody was going to take seriously. There was some thought here that Nakajima could win, obviously. No one thinks thought, thought that Masa Kitamiya, a match that I haven't seen yet, by the way, was going to take the title from uh, from Segura. Now that and the support there was similar too on that show. That show, which was in September, did barely over a thousand fans. And the semi-main event for that one was a junior tag team title match with High Sixty Nine. Uh, I refuse to say Hiroki and Minoru Tanaka uh, successfully defending against uh, Hidaka and Sugawara. So. You had a junior tag team title match as the semi-main event there. You had a junior tournament final as the semi-main event here. And, and two GHC heavyweight title matches. So, Rich, I would, I would say that those were equal strength shows. So, sure. uh, for, so for whatever that's worth, uh, Nakajima is worth about 300 more fans than Kitamiya. Now, as far as Korokin goes for Noah over the course of the year, they've had some shows that have done sub-1,000 which obviously you don't want. They've peaked at about 1,500 uh, for a show or two. But overall, a little over 1,300 fans uh, for this show. I think we can call that a mild success as, uh, as we keep an eye on Noah moving forward. Yeah, and I think you, what was cool that you mentioned is, and, and when you watch this match, like if you watch it unspoiled, even if you watch it spoiled, there's points where you're like, oh yeah, Nakajima's got this. <laughs> you know, I knew he wasn't going to win, but it was like, it felt, and the crowd felt it too. And that's why Segura snapping and, and punching him and then eventually just putting him away felt so rewarding because like you feel like Nakajima's winning this match. Like, you're oh, yeah. fuck. Like, he's cheating. Like, God damn it. Like, he's going to take this away from Segura. So it, it, it worked on that level where it was pretty cool. But yeah, no, you definitely did feel like that was a possibility. And the fans obviously felt that too and the bank the, uh, the the paying fans i should say felt that as well because they obviously went there and uh you know showed the uh you know attendance wise that they thought uh possibility as well so yeah uh good yeah hopefully we talk some more noah i'm uh i, I always it was one of those ones that like i wish I, I again there's not just not enough time in the fucking day i wish there was well this sugi title run is bringing some stability to the company i think um you know, it's doing okay numbers by the standards of, mm-hmm. of current Noah. Yeah, the and, Nakajima reign was a complete and utter disaster. It just didn't work. Yeah, sorry. I mean, and, look, and look, it's 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 not totally on him. You know, you can't let him completely off the hook because they gave it plenty of time and all sorts of things. But it wasn't totally on him. Um, and it never really is when a promotion is, is, is struggling like this. You know, we talk about it with Impact all the time. It's hard to turn that corner. But this is the right move to belt up this guy. He's got credibility. He has great matches every time out. And he's really uh, this run. It's really feel. It really feels like whoever dethrones him is is. It's gonna feel like an accomplishment because of how dominant he and how good the run has been and how dominant he's yeah, been. Right, right. And I can really get into a Katero Suzuki challenge of Daisuke Harada for that junior title. So I'm sure they're gonna do that uh, at some point. That's a match uh, that I'll be into for sure when they get around to doing it. But uh, yeah, it, you know, I've been keeping one eye on Noah. I do try to check in when they have a Corican or a big show. I did watch their other, um, you know, the the the, the, the Kenta Marafuji show. At uh, where was that? Was that Sumo Hall? Um, Sumo Hall, see. right? I think so. Yeah. Um, I want to say it was Sumo Hall. The Kenta Mar- I watched that show in full, you know, because what what intrigued me about that show was it. Rem- we talked about it at the time. It made me. It, it reminded me of what Noah used to be, and yeah, it was Sumo Hall. I don't I, know why I didn't know that. Stuff. I should have known that, but yeah, yes. it was Sumo Hall, 
and and you know it it did about sixty three hundred fans, I think. Which uh, number was yeah, right around six three hundred, so six two eighty five. So yeah, six three hundred. So I got a good memory sometimes. Um, yeah, so I mean, you know, for modern Noah, I mean, that's it's just an incredible number. So um, you know, Kenta and Marafuji getting it done. But I, I watched that entire show, and look, it was nothing great. You know, the undercard were all you know five six minute matches, bunch of tag matches, all that. Uh, Semi main event was okay. The time limit draw. That felt um, to me like a classic Noah match. That time limit draw one, because like you got Akiyama yucking it up in there. You got Aoki. Yep. Like that felt like that match even more than the main event. The main event yeah. did too, but that semi main was just like, oh my god, this is Noah. Like random tag teams, like a guy maybe an outsider coming in for a little bit, you know, working a, a tag program. Like that felt like Noah all through and through, and especially the thirty minute time limit draw too. It wasn't a great match. I like the main event a little bit more, but I still thought, wow, yeah, that that felt like Noah to me. You had the green ring in front of a real crowd in a big-time building. Mm-hmm. Akiyama's Akiyama, there. Kenta's there. Kenta. You had Marafuji. That show was like going to a high school reunion. It just felt good, it, and it brought back good memories. And I guess high school reunions are bad if you didn't like them. <laughs> I was going to say. I, yeah. but, um, no, I enjoyed my high school run, but I don't want to go to a – No, I've never gone to any of mine either. So I don't even know why I use that analogy because I've never gone to one of mine. I just blow them off every time because I have no interest. But, uh, it, it, you know, it, it felt like, uh, you know, it was – what's the word I'm looking for then? I guess it was good nostalgia, the best kind of nostalgia because it's like you were taken back to another era for – Yeah, one like uh, like your favorite band coming back together for like a reunion tour or whatever. And it, it actually rules and it doesn't suck, which is, is rare again. But, you know, if you go and it's, it's, it's actually cool, then yeah. And I was like, wow, the green ring with some juice. This is so awesome and I wish this still existed. <laughs> You know, um, but yeah, so I watch that show and I try to watch, um, you know, most of the, the big matches on Corkins, but it's just a promotion that we just haven't been able to fit into our schedule. So, um, you know, we'll try to talk about it more moving forward. Absolutely. All right. Let's talk about a company that we do definitely need to talk about a little bit more going forward. Let's talk about DDT, Joe. All right. We're going to do the uh, the DDT. And so I guess we'll finish off Japan and then we'll end this baby with the NWA. Yeah, I just thought Japan would work better. Instead of going Noah, DDT, <laughs> Noah, and NWA. I and agree. DDT. Makes sense to go DDT right now. But uh, by the way, uh, we're about to preview DDT Peter Pan. If you want an actual preview of DDT Peter Pan, uh, John Carroll with Taylor Mainberg, uh, voicewrestling.com. By the time you read this, they will have a preview up there on the website. So make sure you go to voicewrestling.com to check out their preview because i think it'll do a much better job of breaking down the stories and the intricacies than you'll get in the next 30 minutes so all right let's do it well i mean the big story here is they're running sumo hall and it looks like they have a very good chance of selling it out and that is a huge story yeah we just talked about noah bringing back kenta and marafuji doing 6300 fans and that is a massive success well this show might do like nine thousand fans there's a real possibility of that and ticket sales really took off when they announced the shima versus uh, Takashita match. And, and look, it's, it's, it's technically the semi-main event, but we all know that this is the drawing match. We all know that this is the match that's pushing the tickets. Uh, we have a, a, you know, a Danshuku Dino title defense against Daisuke Sasaki in the main event, and I know that's a big match you know, in, within the, the, the confines of the DDT universe. It's a title match and all those things. Well, get that. I'm not saying that's a meaningless match. Or that's not contributing. But the money match here is Takashita versus Shima. And if this sells out, you know, that's the match that's going to get the majority of the credit for that, as well it should, as well it should. I mean, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the impact that Shima's making everywhere he goes. DDT, Wrestle 1, YouTube numbers up, he's pushing tickets everywhere. Uh, Wrestle 1, 
uh, as soon as the Shima match is over, fans are leaving in droves. I mean, it, it's just there's Shima mania right now everywhere he pops up. <laughs> and he nice. should be in demand. And, and every promotion in Japan, every promotion in Japan should be looking into using him for their big shows. All of them, including New Japan. Did you expect Everybody it to be, as, be as much as this? Or did you take him for granted for that many years? Did you I expect be, Shima I, mania to, to exist how it does? Look, I got to be honest. It's one of those things where... You never really knew what was going on with Dragon Gate, and we all kind of just accepted that they drew based on the collective. And we now have evidence that Shima is a legitimate drawing card on his own, with Dragon Gate business declining while he's gone and him popping places all over the place. I mean, he's going to help draw a sellout in Sumo Hall. He's helping wrestle one of all places, which never has any buzz and 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 business buzz that is, and um and 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 and, and has struggles to draw fans, and um you know it's it's just it's 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 opened up my eyes that wow you know maybe Dragon Gate simply wasn't you know uh, a promotion that where where individuals didn't matter because i mean that's clearly not the case the core can sell out streak ended when once shima you know stopped working shows right right and and the big shows have dipped and and he's popping a tent so yeah i mean i mean i don't know if i took shima for granted it's just we didn't have evidence we just didn't know yeah and then he finally had a shake up and he finally took some people out of there and it was like oh yeah never mind now we know who that who were the important people and, and shima of course i mean i i expected him to do well on but i never thought that'd be like droves of people going to these other companies to watch it it's 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 been nuts it's been great i think that they would dive in as 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 much as they have as well i thought shima would maybe pick one little home base or whatnot but man he's he's got his newfound freedom and he is using it to the max he is going everywhere and anywhere and it's awesome to see it's really really fun yeah and i mean if you're doing if you're ddt and you're doing a shima dream match scenario takashita's the guy i mean you can make an argument for her ashima um but i mean if i'm booking this i'm 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 doing Takashita. Are you doing the same thing? Or are you going? Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, I, I think you can't go wrong with either of those, but I'm probably going. I, I'm going Takashita. I think that it's just the, the styles work a little bit better. And then there's also the just the idea of like the old and the young, too. I kind of like that aspect of it as well. So, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm with that. And especially like if Takashita wins, of course, that's kind of a you know feather in his cap beating Shima. You know, yeah. Legend. And- so I, I think that's where Hiroshima doesn't really gain anything by beating Shima, no. whereas Takashita really could. So. Well, could this be a tip off of why they did this? Maybe you know, it's like okay, if Shima's willing to do business, we gotta we gotta put Takashita over him. Sure, um, you right. know. But if Shima's not willing to do business, all right, yeah, we could beat Hiroshima. You know, Tanahashi beat Hiroshima and, and kind of like shit on him in the process, and it didn't matter. <laughs> well, maybe it's. I don't think it mattered. I mean, but it's like we, he shit on him so bad. I thought that a, a rematch was guaranteed. And it never happened. Yeah, that was really bizarre. Was <laughs> really about that. Like, like, well, that rematch is coming. That was three years ago. I don't think that's coming anytime soon. So, but to think maybe if this were two or three years ago, it'd be a stronger argument, Harashima versus Takashita. But you know, it's it's yeah, it's Takashita's clearly the ace of this company at this point. I would say, and this was the match you got to do. So that's the one they're doing. And um, you know, Takashita by all rights should win. If he doesn't and there's no rematch, then I guess Shima is a, uh, you know, a guy that's not willing to do business. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I find it hard to believe that they would let Shima come in here, beat that guy, and then just fucking skip along his merry way and invade Zero One next. I have to think that if Shima does win the match, Takashita is getting the win back at some point. I mean, I just have to think that or DDT or just 
the people running that company are just the ultimate pushovers then. I mean, that'll be the second time that we saw a scenario like this. I just, I, I just don't see it. But uh, I guess we'll find out soon enough. Uh, the Dino Sasaki title match, obviously, is the, is the main event of the show. Look, I follow DDT through their free YouTube page. I am not a DDT Universe subscriber. I do not have a good enough feel for who I think is going to win that match. Um, you know, it, so, you know, I, I don't have a prediction for you in terms of the title match. Um, Rich, do you have anything to add to that, or are you in the same boat as Yeah, me? I'm kind of the same thing. You know, I'm, I'm, I've been kind of casually watching it as well. And we'll, we'll both watch the show, by the way. We'll review it uh, next week on the show. Yeah. We'll, we'll watch it for sure. But, yeah, this one I don't necessarily have a great plan for. And that's why I said it, it, it'd be a good idea to go to uh, voicerising.com and check out the, the preview that we have because John and, and Taylor both follow the product uh extensively so their previews probably hold a little bit more weight and their their predictions i should say hold a little bit more weight because they have a little bit more of a feel for it whereas me like i don't know <laughs> like it doesn't you know i kind of have a feel for takashita shima i i feel like there's a way that they're probably going with that but this main event i have no idea it could go either way for me really and, and like i said i kind of ca- casually follow from youtube and other uh, aspects of that so yeah i don't i don't really have a good feel but um yeah, I don't know. Yeah, what would be your? I, you I don't have a don't know, prediction. Like, is there any way to do it? Or yeah, no, I don't. I don't. I don't have a day in day out feel for the booking of the company and what they're doing with that top title. So I don't. Um, we have uh, Shigehiro Iri, who's leaving the company, by the way, and uh, Kaisuke Ishii. They gave Iri like a a title run, and there was this weird thing where they attempted to push him, and it just didn't work out. And 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 you know, he had that excursion for a while. Well, I guess it was what 2017 in the U S and it, it looks like he'll be leaving the company again. It's just not working out with him. It's a real weird deal. And they'll take on Hiroshima and Yukio Sakaguchi. That's also one of the top matches. Uh, but Erie is heading out of the company. So we'll see where he lands. Rich, I know you're just chomping at the bit to talk about the difference in 27 years of age, representative director and president, 48 years old and belonging wrestler, 21 years old, waste, blood, washing, conflict, play, final settlement, weapon, rumble. <laughs> I like the emphasis because the rumble had, a, had an exclamation point after it too. So I like how you put the emphasis there. Um, yeah, I Which can't is- wait. Uh, yeah. So as you said, Same. it's the difference in 27 years of age, representative director and president, 48 years old, a belonging wrestler, 21 years old, waste blood, washing, conflict, place, final settlement, weapon rumble match. Um, yes. You did say that, correct? I did. Okay. I uh, just want to make sure I had that right. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's DDT, Between man. Sanjiro Takagi and Mao. Now, Mao is the 21-year-old wrestler who everybody is super high on. Uh, described to us uh, by Jamie O.D., who follows DDT, has been blogging DDT for many years, uh, essentially the authority to go to, as the rising star in the company who uh, works these uh, fall wild, falls count anywhere, DDT trademark style matches uh, in the vein that Kota Bushi used to work. So, uh, and Takagi, always a figure who's over in the company, the 48-year-old director and president. Uh, yes. As a matter as is uh st- this is the wildest <laughs> japan has wild match descriptions match titles this is the wildest one yet yeah I waste mean, blood washing conflict play is I, that point's got me rumble. final settlement weapon rumble that's fine i get that the waste blood washing conflict play part is the part i get because this is if people don't know this is a uh the match type is a royal rumble but instead of like people coming out weapons come out so like they do a countdown and then like a new weapon comes down so that's the final settlement weapon rumble. I have no idea what the waste blood washing conflict play is, though. So, <laughs> how about this one, Rich? Are you ready to break down the Soken Holdings present? Will you eat or be eaten? Giant special singles match between Super Sasadango Machine 
And Andre's a giant panda. I kind of am looking forward to this match. Is, am I weird? I'm leaning on you for this one. I can't wait, man. Um, well, the giant panda is pretty easy to... If you've never seen the giant panda, um, it is literally a giant panda. So there you go. It is a... How, how tall would you say this panda is? Like 15 feet tall? Like it's it's large. It's a rather large giant you, panda listen this is all you my man yeah, i got nothing it. to say about the soap <laughs> holdings present will you eat or be eating giant <laughs> special scene you know i can't wait i can't wait this sounds awesome giant the panda world's, the world's craziest couple battle is uh makato oishi and masaki ohata taking on uh, joey ryan and his wife lauren james um you know you get some dick flipping uh, intergender action here rich are you yeah, looking forward to the no. world's craziest? <laughs> no, I just don't want to see Joey Ryan ever. Come I don't ever away. want to see Joey Ryan in any context. Oh my god! More, po- I mean, again, we've said this on the show before, and I'll, I'll say it again when we make fun of Joey Ryan. More power to this guy. This guy is making more money and getting more bookings in the world for doing nothing. More power to him. He has found the secret sauce. I just never, ever, ever want to see him ever again. No interest. <laughs> like- now this is an interesting mid card match. We've got all out versus strong hearts. Reason being, this is kind of a rematch. These guys had a match against each other on the Manji Manji show or whatever it is. It's actually this mid match is free on YouTube. And uh, if you want to go watch it, this was the first post invasion match. And it was, it was an eight man tag. Shima was involved. It was all out versus strong hearts. This will be a six man tag. The all outside will be Akito, Shunma, Katsumata, and Yuki Lino against a strong hearts threesome of T-Hawk, Lindemann, and Tian Yunnan, one of, uh, one of Shima's uh, Chinese dudes. Uh, no, no, uh, no Eita here, right? So it's uh, T-Hawk no, no, and Lindemann and then Tian Yunnan. Yeah. Um, in a six-man match, and these two factions have kind of been warring ever since Stronghearts invaded the company. So I will have an eye on this one. Now, as far as the eight-man tag that's available on YouTube, people loved that fucking match. Rich, did you watch it? I have not had a chance to watch it yet. I I, I am planning on watching, and I keep forgetting to watch it because I keep forgetting it's free, but I, I have it loaded up right now, and I'm actually emailing it to myself to remind myself to watch it it's, tomorrow. It's so. a match you should watch before you watch Peter Pan. Exactly. That's that. Yeah. I will do that, yeah. Which, by the way, I say this every year. Peter Pan is the dumbest name for a major show in all of wrestling. It's just <laughs> such a stupid name to call a show Peter Pan. Um, but, but anyway. Hold on. Hold on. You just announced the difference in 27 years, Waste Blood, and you're upset that they named their show Peter Pan? It's just a dumb name for the a show. The Holdings presents Will You Eat or Be Eaten? Giant special singles match. Well, I mean, it's DDT. I mean, I, listen, I'm not in love with a lot of things DDT do. DDT is yeah, one of those companies... DDT is one of those companies where I like half the show and the other half can go get fucked. I mean, I've always felt that way about DDT. I have no time for this comedy nonsense. But anyway, so we've got all out strong hearts. Uh, you should watch that eight-man tag before you watch Peter Pan. Anyway, I did watch the match. I watched it once and thought, eh, that was just a match. Then I saw other people saying, that was fucking incredible. This is one of the best eight-man tags of the year. This is a, a fucking awesome match. And I'm like, what am I missing here? So I was like, I owe this to go back and watch again. So I went back. And watch the match again, and it was just a match. I really have no fucking idea what match I'm watching and what match everybody else is watching because I really look. I didn't think it was a bad match, but I thought it was like firmly a three star fucking match. So I would like you to watch okay, it. I will. Yeah, I'd like to get your take on the eight man tag between All Out and Strong Hearts because I didn't think it was anything special at all. I mean, I but I don't know what I'm missing. I thought it was okay. I thought. Um, I don't know. I, I thought it was fine. I, I don't know what else to add about it, but I'm into this. I'm into this mid-card match that they'll have. And then we've got the uh, 
the first half of the match. We're still going backwards here. Let's start at the top of the card now and work our way down. How about that? Let's do it, uh, yeah. We have th- these are matches that are all wacky um, DDT style matches. Uh, it's going to open up with the time difference battle royal. All right, Rich. Here I go. You yep, ready? Get, yep. you answer? I got it. This is one that I'm definitely going to skip. This sounds horrendous, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so we've got Gorgeous Matsuno, Hasha Tango, Gota Ahashi, Nobuhiro Shimatani, Yomahito Imanari, Shota, Michael Wolf, Fifth Tiger Mask, self named, Monster Halloween, and Gundan Hattori. Now, I'm familiar with some of these names. I'm not familiar with some of the others. There's going to be a ton of comedy. You got Gorgeous Matsuno in there. You've got whatever the fuck Monster Halloween is. You got Gota Ahashi. I'm with you, Rich. This is just going to be wacky, silly <laughs> fun, and I really don't have any time for it. I mean, I'll, I'll, watch it. Yeah. I'll watch it just for, for the completion no, I know, you know, yeah. aspect of it. Um, and it's Peter Pan. And I'm going to watch the whole show, but know what you're getting into. Next up, we've got Amina Shirakawa DDT First Participation War Tokyo Joshi Pro Six Woman Tag Match. Miyu Yamashita, Yuki Kamafuku, and Mina Shirakawa versus Yuka Sakazaki, Mizuki, and Shoko Nakajima. Rich and I are certainly not the authorities on Tokyo Joshi Pro. I have no clue whether this is supposed to be good or not, so I'm not going to pretend that I do. Again, voicewrestling.com preview of people that actually watch Tokyo Doshio Pro. So, yeah. Uh, we've got a KOND six man tag team titles. These are the six man tag team titles of the promotion. They call their titles KOND. Um, uh, so, this is uh, just, uh, you know, the, 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 their, their, uh, the KOND open way title is what Dino and Daisuke Sasaki will be right. fighting over in it's the main the governing event. body, the weird governing body thing. So, that's, that's why. So, right. don't be confused. These are the six man tag team titles of the company, the Damnation. Yeah, exactly. The Damnation unit holds these titles now. So Soma Takeo, Tetsuya Endo, and Mad Pauly, that's that frightening purple dude who wears the face paint, who terrifies me. They will be defending their titles against the Disaster Box uh, team of Toru Owashi, Kazuki Harata, and Yuki Ueno. So a title match on the uh, early portion of the card. Six-man titles up for grabs. And then we've got a gauntlet tag team match. All right, Rich, I'm ready. I've got got my breath. <clears throat> there's, there's a lot of tags here. This is a gauntlet match. There's a lot of familiar names. This looks like it could be fun. Uh, there are some teams here where that lean comedy, though. So there'll be some comedy here, too. But this looks like it could be a fun match. Here I go. So it's Speedball Bailey and Antonio Honda. That's team number one. Mizuki Watase and Jason Kincaid is team number two. Our boy, Kazusada Higuchi, is team number ah, four. That guy's a bum. <laughs> Uh, he's had a decent year. I've no, seen a fine. couple of them. He's had a decent year. Uh, but he's in a, you know, this gauntlet tag match. I'd like this. Them, them, this doesn't bode well. Yeah, I don't like I don't like that part of it, but that's all right. Rich, here's it. the thing with Higuchi. Okay. He's really good. I thought he had a down year a couple years ago. He's having a decent year, bounce back year. I, I don't think he fits in DDT. I, you know, I don't know. That, might be, something- that might be it. I, I think I always wanted him to be in a different, and then like, yeah, he just, I don't want him ever in comedy. Cause then I think he's so much better than that. That, yeah, he, that, that might be it with, like you're saying, it might be better if he just went somewhere else. I mean, I know. And here's, it, it, the, and here's yeah. the thing. He doesn't really connect with DDT's fans. No, he's in a weird spot and he's not that like, he looks like a, he looks like a Noah guy like that. Put that dude in fucking Noah. Are you kidding? He'd be incredible. But yeah, it's just kind of. When they do their general election gimmick, he always finishes like third to last. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, which sucks. He just doesn't fit in the promotion, and I don't think he he connects with the DDT fans. I I he's a guy who would be better off somewhere else. This guy, by all rights, should have had a chance to be the next great Pearl star. I mean, he really should have. I mean, I think he has all the tools. But anyway, uh, we've got Kudo and Masahiro Takanashi is a, is a team number five or yeah team number yeah four team number four team number five is. Uh, Tanu Musaka Toba and Kaisuke Okuda. And then the final team is uh, Tomomitsu Matsunaga and the ever-present Michael Nakazawa. So that's your gauntlet tag team match. Uh, who knows? I think that could be a lot of fun. And then there's a Super Joshi Pro Wars 2018 match with uh, Saki Akai and Maki Ito versus Miko Satamura and Cassandra Miyagi. Again, I'm not breaking that one down because, listen, Sometimes I think, uh, you know, when it comes to pro wrestling, it's such a vast, giant world and you can't keep up with all of it. It's okay to say, I don't know. And I don't know a goddamn thing about uh, Tokyo Joshi Pro. So uh, there you go. Those are all the bouts. There's some stuff that I'm looking forward to. There's some stuff I'm intrigued by. There's going to be some stuff that annoys the shit out of me that I have that just I have no interest in. But that's DDT. Now, Rich, I think, and we have a few minutes, and I want to try to squeeze this in before we do a quick preview of the NWA show. Uh, DDT is poised to grow. Um, they're owned by a uh, giant media conglomerate, a giant media conglomerate in Japan that is uh, five to six times larger than the company that owns New Japan, just to give people an idea. Uh, and, and, and that happened uh, last year, and I really don't think it got enough play. When DDT was uh, was taken over or purchased by this company, no, nobody really brought it up at all. Yeah, and it was it's a huge company too. Yeah, so they've got serious money backing. Now, with that said, okay, ROH has serious money backing too in the form of Sinclair, which is a much bigger company than WWE. It doesn't matter if that company isn't going to put the assets into the wrestling branch of their company, like we've seen with ROH. Uh, we talk about it all the time. They're just seen as a line item and something to put on TV. And if Sinclair ever seriously wanted to get behind ROH, they would have, uh, you know, the assets to to cause some serious damage. Same deal here. Um, you know, so, but we're hearing that DDT is poised for international expansion and they have their eyes on international expansion. And the WrestleMania weekend thing is just the start of that. And they would like to explore uh, growth outside of Japan. Here's my problem with that. Clearly, they have a company that uh, has the means and the assets to where if they wanted to explore that, uh, they could do it. There's money to burn there. The problem, Rich, I have is I think DDT is way too Japanese. I I mean, there's barriers with New Japan in expanding in the West because it's a Japanese company and all those sorts of things. DDT is very fucking Japanese. If you haven't heard the matches that we just previewed on this show, I mean, that's (laughs) all you need to know. I think DDT is way too niche. I think it's way too Japanese, and I cannot see the DDT product as it's currently constructed catching on big time in the West. I just don't see it. Where do you stand there? Yeah, I think that's going to be the issue. And I, I think WrestleMania, this WrestleMania weekend will be interesting to check out and see how it does and if people really get into it or whatnot and, and, and the thoughts. But yeah, my, my overall approach, I, I think that it's, it's a tough barrier. It's super, super. You really have to be... You kind of have to be able to laugh at it a little bit. Like you said, it's very Japanese in some sense. And 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 we're not saying that in terms of like, obviously, it's us. So we, like we watch shit tons of Japanese. That's not a big issue for us. But 
how many friends do we talk about or how many people do we say that like won't watch basic Japanese wrestling because they speak in Japanese and you're going to get a random like American per- I mean Americans are very protective about this sort of shit like I think it's just going to be very hard to get like the masses or, or, or even like the majority of wrestling fans to even be aware of a company that's so Japanese like it, it's so kind of tongue in cheek as well it's just going to be such a hard barrier to get I mean Chikara basically can only scratch the surface of things and and and, and they kind of what I would consider is it, do kind of a an American approach to what DDT kind of does in, in a sense, and they only scratch the surface. So I just think it's it, it might be a bridge too far for them. I, th- I think they'd have to really severely adjust what they do, and I don't think anybody really wants that. Though I think the real fans of DDT would not want them to come and, and bring a watered down DDT to America just to make it you know expand. So I don't know. I don't know what the plan is. I mean, it seems like a pretty ambitious plan to do it. So I I, I don't know. It's a foreign language Chikara. I mean, that's the, the best way you could describe it. And that's even more ridiculous, a- and like maybe even more ridiculous too, which is pretty funny. Now, look, the top of the card has great wrestling. It's always been that way. But here's the other problem, too. And, you know, this might upset some people, but it, it is the truth. And if they're being honest with themselves, they'll be honest about it. The underneath stuff on DDT is very shindy as well. I mean, it's always been, you know, it, it, it's not major league talent. They are not going to come. I would be stunned if they come to WrestleMania weekend with a lot of their undercard stuff. They can't do that. Here's what they need to do WrestleMania weekend. Takashita. Endo. Daisuke Sasaki, um, you know, uh, Hiroshima. That's who you bring to WrestleMania weekend, okay? You, what you don't bring to WrestleMania weekend is Gota Ahashi and gorgeous Matsuno. You don't do that. You do not do that. Um, now, the people who are going to that DDT show to see an authentic DDT show might be upset about that, but if I'm running DDT and I have my eyes on international expansion and this is my first crack at it, I don't know, Rich. I don't think that undercard stuff gets over in the West. I don't. And I think it's a mistake to feature it. And I think you have to hide some of the shindy level talent that they have if they want to do this. And I think you really need – look, you don't want to completely lose your identity because you know that's not something you want to do either. The problem is I don't think DDT's identity is something that's going to get over mainstream across the world. I don't see it. I don't think it's going to – You know, New Japan is a much easier – product for other cultures to consume in my opinion than ddt and and i still think new japan has massive barriers to cross in that regard um starting with the fact that it's called new japan pro wrestling it's it's a regional name um but ddt style and you know look i think some people you know will see some of the wrestlers they employ and think "Ugh, these guys are just low rent so I think they've got to try to hide that stuff. Or if they really want to play, if they want to be a big boy and they want to play with the big boys, maybe they got to up the quality of the roster. Right. And they, and they could, if they, like you said, if they just chop off the beginning of every show, like that hey, roster look, is. They're, they're great at developing young wrestlers. Yeah. That's the thing too. They could do it if they wanted to, but again, do you then do you lose your identity? Right, and, that, and that's deal. that's where I would really. I mean, that's the that's the worry is that like your fans of DDT are like, well, geez, this kind of sucks because this isn't what I love. They, I think they love what they love, but that's why I think it's just super niche and it works in that country. I don't see it working across the world. I don't see it translating to a bunch of other places just because maybe as a novelty once or twice, maybe like a kaiju big battle out level novelty, but I don't know if it has the, the staying power, uh, you know, in other countries and and in other niches. I mean, casual fan friends like how hard would it be to bring one of your buddies to that show and not like prep them for that like i i would probably enjoy it i would enjoy the atmosphere there's plenty of people that would but like you're not going to get those sort of 
your indie fans or your American wrestling fans. I just think it's a, it, it, it's just a little too far. Uh, Rich, he, he, look, me and you are going to go to a DDT show if they come to America. Oh, sure. No, I'm, I'm this WrestleMania weekend. I'll be there. The problem is, can you convert your typical Bullet yeah, Club? John Q. Public. Yeah, Bullet Club shirt wearing John Q. Public is probably not going to sit there and, and really laugh at uh, you know Gorgeous Matsuno or whatever in a uh, Because, because in a the rumble. fact yeah. of the matter is, say what you want, New Japan has been able to attract that fan. Yes, they have. Obviously. Um, I don't know that DDT in its genuine form can do that. I just don't think it translates. I don't think... Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.